have um, we had a name for a political party. Um, it was something about the um, I don't know data. No, it was the I don't know. I don't remember the name. But anyway, the idea was to simply have a very data driven approach to to whatever kind of decision you have to make. So then, let people to simply provide their own ideas about you know this is the reason I think we should have this kind of tax rate in whatever. And and you had a really kind of you know data driven approach for it, mm. but I haven't really seen any kind of party that do that exactly, and that's kind of strange. It is strange, and you but the, you you need to like package it in a nice way, right? It mm. has to be in your narrative. It's much more storytelling and vision where you should use that data. So I think uh, many problem many many reasons uh, sometimes our data driven uh, culture doesn't work is that people just talk about the data as this and mm. then. Yeah, but people don't follow that. But but uh, let's just reframe. Basically, uh, the starting point here: How can we not have more objective data as part of the political debate? If we use go circle back to that core idea and, and mm-hmm. those examples. So, what's the starting point here, as you see it? Um, I, I don't know exactly why we cannot. Right. So, just thinking about how it works. Um, if I understand it correctly now, the, the political parties, they go and request the data from um, a support organization that they have access to. And this, uh, uh, this um, uh, organization helps them to, pr- to provide data points and analysis for them, for that party, for, for I don't know, ad hoc questions, I, I presume. And then these parties, uh, they use the same agency to provide <laughs> these data points. And then they go to the debates, public debates that we watch on TV. And then they use these, uh, each party use their own versions of that truth uh, of, the, uh, um, of the responses they got from their requests from the same agency. And then they use that to throw different versions of the truth against it, each other's. Which is unfortunate, right? Because uh, we all it know that we all know that that's how you how you uh, just slice and dice the numbers until you get the right, the, the numbers that support your narrative. Yeah, which is not like how you should make and lies. Yeah, right? it's uh, not yeah, how you classic. should <laughs> lies, damn lies, statistics. But we <laughs> know we know it yeah. works like this, right? This is also how organizations work. This is the natural way of making decisions for yourself. If you just take you you want to find data that supports your own thesis, right? And then you but, try to find those numbers and then you love it. And then everything else that doesn't support your thesis, and, and you don't want to see. And you hear it here first on AI <laughs> after work. This is the call out for the 2022 election. Are we, are we really going to fall for this one more time or can we do something else? So you have, you, you, sh- you know, there are some very simple examples. Do you highlight them? Yeah. What, 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 you know, simple right. stuff that would make a more objective uh, use of data if you, if you elaborate. Yeah, exactly. So when listening to these debates, I mean, if, if someone could just help the viewer to understand the, uh, some of the common ground or the facts before the parties are discussing a topic, uh, for example, the most simplest, simplistic one is to just show what, what is the budget allocation for each different party because then you, you understand much more where are the, where are the differences uh, and if one party talks about one initiative you need to understand how it's funded what have they redacted from somewhere else and if you don't understand that then it's impossible to understand what's the consequences of mon- money talks in some way and, yeah. and just showing that table the overview mm-hmm. so when someone some party is talking about one initiative part of the budget show them uh, like how that differs for, from the others mm. show that allocation it's very simple just I think very, this very is a brilliant start. simple idea and I I, do, I used to get frustrated when I realized why why aren't we looking at those simple budget allocation numbers every election because when you get into the single narrative of one question the political acumen <laughs> the way they, they, they can 
carry themselves, they, they, they will talk up whatever they are doing mm. to sound huge and beautiful. Yes. But when you put them hardcore next to each, each other, show me the money. Mm. How much money are you actually spending on the school? Yes. How much and where money do you are take you it from? And where do you take it from? It's a very simple, basic uh, data yeah. uh, visualization yeah. that would basically give, a, oops, that's really what they're spending my money on. Why don't exactly. we know this? Of course, it's all out in the open because they all put the budget proposition and the and the other guys do the same. Yeah. But I think it's just that we're not used to that data-driven mindset of making a decision to to like wait. I don't. Uh, I need to, to to really make up my mind here. I need to understand the, the full objective like truth. Here. You, you you put me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm gonna go out <laughs> and look at these visual. I'm gonna get these. But but think about the more complex questions, uh, data about crime, about immigration, about ah. all those kind of things that people that the parties are just throwing at each other. It's impossible for the viewer to understand what's the, the right part. And not only for the viewers, I would argue, I think it's super hard for politicians to make an informed decision yeah. as well about how to allocate the budget as well. You know, that's why I really, you know, I, I wrote about this, um, paper that came from actually Salesforce um, and also Stanford and others that try to simulate how to set the proper tax rate in balance to equality. Mm. If you have, you know, too high or too low tax rate, that will have some kind of effect on the, on, on the society. And if you argue for too high equality, that will also have some effect on productivity, for mm. example, on, on the society. And, and then they simply try to simulate that. They had some very simplistic, you know, yeah, ways to model the world. But it's an optimization. But at problem. least they could make some kind of simulation that they see what happens if you increase the tax rate or not. And mm. you can see the effects on equality and productivity from that. And at least and then you have like an AI or data driven approach to yeah. try to, I mean, it's not perfect, but at least they're trying to. But it's a mindset, right? You want yeah, to understand so. the co complete consequences and then you try to find data. And, yeah. and you should also be fine that even if you don't have the exact data, just by visualizing what you know and what you don't know, and then yeah. like form a thesis on, we believe this, so we do this because we believe that. Yeah. But, but bottom line, isn't this all about data literacy or data maturity in, in different industries? And if you look at politics as, a, as an operating yes. business or whatever, I mean, like the way we do politics and, and then you can go and look at the, <laughs> the debates in England, you know, they, they look the same for since the 1800s, yes. right? And, and we should have, we, we, we should be here, able should. to do better, right? Yes. We should be able to, we are, we are demanding more from our businesses. We are starting to demand more from our public sector, mm. but the, f f the whole political, you know, beast, the whole machinery is Fairly analog. Yeah, totally. But it's natural, right? I mean, every industry will uh, is converging into being becoming more data driven, mm. industry by industry. So I think politics is is, is somewhere down the line. Next, but what will be the tipping point? Because typically in in business and corporates, to really change and really get on the journey, mm. there, there there has been a huge compelling event. Mm. There's something happened. We're gonna die. We're gonna get disrupted by the the tech giants. Something is happening yeah. that gets people to wake up. What needs to happen for for this industry, the political industry, yeah. to wake up uh, to to become data driven? Uh, that's interesting. I mean, uh, for the um, when looking at other industries, how this data transformation has happened. Uh, 
uh, it has started with the ability to co- to look at data, to collect data, that mm. we have data to work with. But this is you already, know? this is in some way, it's there, yeah, it's, I argue. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of data is there, but maybe there is a tipping point where when there is more and more data being available for for uh, for us together as a, as a society, maybe it will come to a tipping point where there is just so much, so someone will actually do this and put this together and put, put these uh, uh, graphs into the debate and that will get viral and maybe that will be like the transformative uh, so we we have we have the abundance of data but we have a scarcity of insights in that data so how do we go to abundance in insights so that's also the literacy translation point yeah that you need to have the literacy to start asking the right question and then the literacy to what's the data points and analytical models behind those data perhaps it can be a simple thing As you know, we have more and more automated fact checkers these uh. days. You know, imagine having a live debate and someone makes a statement and you have in seconds kind of latency, a red light saying, this is wrong. <laughs> but that's a, I, I, I like it, it's, but it's a reactive thing, right? I think we need to change the, how the debate is, is constructed. I mean, thinking about organizations, how to, how they should work with data. You, you can't just take what you did before and then start to, to, uh, To but say like this is wrong or this is right, you should uh, re- first you should establish a common a common ground first, and then you work. You look at that common common framework of data and how things are, but, are looking, and then you debate on that. But the key problem is, of course, the political parties don't want that because it it, it doesn't help the narrative. Exactly, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, but if some media does that, at least it would force people to avoid saying obvious wrong statements. So it could potentially at least help. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I think when we get enough data, and maybe we are at that point, someone will take a look at that, actually put it all together and create like a common ground for like, this is the metrics framework for society using data and then invite people to maybe a podcast like this from Mm -hmm. different different political parties. I would argue that this is in fact already happening but not in the sort of major media. It's it's where you find on LinkedIn. So if you go in LinkedIn, mm-hmm. you, you will find these sort of on uh, stats of someone pulled something data together mm-hmm. to really show how it really works. And you've seen all these simple animations, like how many car sales and how Tesla took mm-hmm. over. And so, so people are doing this, but a little bit like out of frustration, individuals yeah. are doing this and making it go viral but none of them are doing it in a holistic way right no so and they're no, picking something that, and they find some kind of fact mm-hmm. uh, on that pr- specific uh, point and then something that supports their own view and then yeah. they push that out yeah and and, and and my argument would be more that we are doing this as individuals frustrated rather than this being a, a macro movement so yeah. to speak in where where the with the public media the, the big media is sort of picking up on data driven. I, I think this is a huge opportunity. The media house that will have the best type of data like this, or maybe even have it before the debate or something like that. I yeah. think that would draw totally drawing it would draw in me it would sell yes. me on, on on listening to their they should establish they should create a show where they establish some kind of metrics framework together with the parties and then you know they have time before to understand that so they can come into the debate on a, uh, on a common ground and then the uh, debate. we should pitch this to svt right you know they have these public debates why don't you do this format you will kill it yeah. <laughs> you will get all the viewers i like that we end on a positive note yeah. that there is a future where we will have objective political discussions happening soon Uh, and and we have the election coming up of course this 2022 year. this year so let's make but, it happen now yeah <laughs> awesome.
Great, and great to have you here, Henrik Langren. Uh, we've known each other for quite some time. I think it's close to 10 years now or something. Yeah. Um, and you're actually the person that hired me to Spotify. Yeah, I found you. Day. I remember the first meeting in a pub somewhere drinking yes, beers. Exactly. So that's, that's, that's back to back, back to old, old days. So, <laughs> so you recruited Anders. Yes. That's, that's the whole point here, right? Yeah, exactly. And we know each other also through Paltorion, and you also had um, a number of connections there as well. Yeah. And we're closely connected to that. And now you're on a new journey as well, which I'm very much looking forward to, to hear more about. I haven't heard that much yet, so mm-hmm. that's why it's super exciting to have you here and hearing what your new um, adventures are, are really about. Yeah. And, and you also have actually uh, a connection to Australia, which is a common theme here. Oh. He's also an Australian. Oh, uh, Australian wannabe. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. Very much looking forward to hear more about that. So. Very welcome here, Henrik. Thank you. Super excited. How how would you describe yourself? Who is Henrik Langren? Um, Yeah, who am I? I think um, uh, I've now been in the pitch mode for my new venture for the last. (laughs) And when did you start the new venture? (laughs) And what's the name? Uh, So our uh, my new company or our new company, we're three co-founders, is called Arc Arc Capital. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I will tell you more about that in a bit, of course, yeah. if you're interested. But the uh, I've been I, I just wanted to say that I've been now in pitching mode, so I've been doing a lot of pitches. So starting to talk about myself is something that I do on repeat now. I think. <laughs> but, Good. Uh, just hit the play button. <laughs> hit the play button and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> sell myself. So, so what I think when I've been uh, thinking about this and perfecting my pitch, uh, I usually describe myself as a. Um, as something where like I, I'm someone who whose life circles around three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything seems to be around data, tech and business. Nice. So that's kind of when I look back at those, that's my like red thread throughout my life. And um, so I started uh, coding when I was uh, six years old, actually. Nice. And so I discovered that in maths early on. And then, so are you a nerd or not? Uh, exactly. That's I don't a, think you look like really a nerd. That's a good question. Are you, are you a true nerd or not? <laughs> So I, I uh, probably moved away from that track uh, around the, the golden.com area. Uh, those were the days where when I was working as a developer, uh, it was super fun. But I realized that I um, uh, was also interested in the business side of things. So I wanted to add that to my, to understand that. I was like, how are businesses run? How does it work? Yeah. Um, so that's why I kind of left the uh, the programming uh, hardcore nerder, uh, nerd track. So the, you were a coder. I was a coder. You, you can put coder on your resume. I think definitely. That's, I built a lot of cool stuff. That's cred. That's cred. <laughs> <laughs> but super fun. Um, and uh, but I realized I'm not going to be the best coder. So I, and I'm also interested in, in what you can do with it. How you know how you can use that in business or make decisions. So I went to school and then uh, studied engineering um, and then um, uh, went to McKinsey for some years uh, to understand really like. Uh, for me, it was a big black box, like how are big companies run? That sounds like super hard. But you really went over the the, um, uh, the university studies uh, in very quickly now. But yeah. Okay, so what type of studies did you? Uh, do? Yeah. So I did a Master of Science in uh, Industrial Engineering and Management. Yeah. Industrial Economy in, in Swedish. Shipping, right? Yes, in mm-hmm. shipping. It's the original. That's where it was invented. Industrial so, Engineering uh, is not Chalmers, not Kotiel. In shipping. In shipping. Exactly. Yeah, it's the best uh, university we have. I'm, I'm not saying that just because I went there as well. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a true fact. Good, I think uh, we, 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 can, <laughs> we can conclude that uh, in, and, in this room. And, 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 no, no 
fa- no facts behind that statement. Go on. Well, there is facts. Two, two data points here. Yeah, two very, data points. Very nicely anecdotal <laughs> evidence on that. Okay. Uh, cool. no, so, um, and that's actually uh, interesting because when I when I uh, uh, started that, I didn't actually at all know what uh, the, you know what. Uh, business or management or even economy really actually meant. I was a coder, right? I liked the math and uh, liked the code, but I didn't, and I, I understood that I want, was interested in more like commercial business. How does it work? But I didn't understand exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. So when I picked, um, when I got in, I actually picked um, uh, Media Technique uh, as my program first, because I was uh, in, into like create, uh, creative oh. fields. Mm-hmm. And then I just added the uh, industrial engineering or uh, on top of that, because it was hard to get in there. And then I came in uh, by chance as a, you know, the, the last, what is it called? Uh, Re- reserve. reserve. Yeah. Reserve. So one week reserve. before the, it started, I was like, okay, you got a spot. Let's mm-hmm. go. Uh, so I was like, uh, almost uh, didn't get it. But on call, exactly. <laughs> but I'm so happy that I got there because I then I really understood after those years, this is exactly what I was interested about. Uh, and what was the core of industrial engineering? How, how would you frame that? Because this is a quite huge <clears throat> in Sweden, but I'm not sure it's really, uh, it, it was really invented in Linköping, I think. Yeah, as, I think as, so. As a, yeah. And it's, uh, I've heard people study that in uh, Norway, of course, they're always copying us, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, also in, uh, in uh, Germany, I have heard people having the same uh, kind of program. And how do you define uh, industrial engineering as a, as, as a field? Uh, uh, well, I, um, the way I talk about it is that it's a, it's a master's degree. So you do a master's so you, and the first years are like any other, like master's of physics or uh, mechanical engineer or something like that. And, but then you, you specialize in something and where some people specialize in mechanical engineering, electrical, electrical engineering, this is specializing in business. So you do, mm. you add the management and business side. Uh, on to, to your engineering degree. So you become like a, a hybrid between. And, and I uh, think this is super cool because th- this was, I, didn't, I mean, this is quite a long time ago in Sweden that, you know, people are doing double undergrads or yeah. double masters, like technical and business. Yeah. And how can we now combine that and frame that as one path? Mm. Exactly. And, uh, you know, looking back right now, the, the profile uh, really fit me well because I'm, I am this generalist person. That's I said those three circles, right? Tech, um, uh, data business, and business. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that intersection between. So I really, that was perfect fit for, for me, that, uh, that program. But you also ended up in Australia somehow. How did that come about? Yeah, because I think uh, almost all people in, uh, in, uh, that program, industrial engineering, uh, is, uh, are doing, uh, exchange programs. Uh, right. So you, I think a lot of them, of us uh, go and uh, study abroad. So, uh, and where were you? In Australia, first in Sydney and then in Brisbane. Specifically, where were you? Which uni? Oh, which uni? Uh, at UTS in Sydney. Yes. And then uh, QUT in, uh, in Brisbane, Queensland University. Queensland University. Yeah. Cool. So that was a great time. And I uh, have my bachelor from University of Wollongong. And one of my friends... And you can never spell it right, right? I can now, but you can't. <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> I've been there, though. <laughs> yeah, and uh, But one of my best friends and roommates uh, transferred to UTS because he thought, oh, it would be better to have a degree from UTS than Wollongong. And I said, well, that's just bullshit. <laughs> so what did you study? I studied business, marketing, right. uh, and uh, more specifically services and relationship marketing. Mm. So I was uh, early on intrigued. Uh, I went to Technis in, in, uh, in Borås, mm-hmm. and, but I'm not an engineer. And business, and then this is, oh, you know, 92, 93, I, I 
I don't know how I, I ended up being fascinated by Kun Klubbar, you know, one-to-one -one type marketing. So this is 93, 92. We talk about one-to-one -one marketing, which is data driven. Yeah. So I data, you know, so I, if I would do your, uh, I would be like the business or the marketing and sales and data. Right. And then Makes services sense. and relationship yeah. marketing. And, and, you know, it, it, we didn't, call, you didn't call it CRM. No. Relationship marketing, services marketing. Cool. In, awesome. Anyway. Yeah. And, and then somehow you, you came back, back to Sweden as well and you got in contact to McKinsey, right? In yeah. some way. How, exactly. how did that happen? Uh, so when I was um, uh, done with my studies, I f still felt that uh, even though that was a great introduction for me to understand more about the business, uh, I still like didn't have enough. So I still didn't, didn't really get it. So I had the choice back then to go like, okay, I know that I can code, right? I'm a developer. So I could go back in, into coding, but I felt like I really want to understand more business side. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I followed this uh, massive uh, <laughs> Uh, flow from people go, going and studying industrial engineering to consultancy. Management so, consultancy. Management consultancy. This, lot, this was, was the shit popular, in, right? in the 90s and 2000s. Exactly. That, that you were not thinking startup, management consulting. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so I followed that to, uh, and I, um, that was also a very good um, choice for me because it was like uh, three years of uh, probably the best uh, school. business school I could ever go to. It's just fascinating. <laughs> and how would you describe McKinsey for people that don't know it? What, what do they do? Um, so uh, we or they or yeah, whatever. And McKinsey, at my, at my, actually, I've heard now that a lot of things have uh, changed. So maybe my version is not correct anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, at that time, at least we were helping um, uh, any organization to do um, to, to run management uh, projects, making decisions, run uh, programs that they would like transform their business into something, something that didn't work or something that they wanted to develop. Uh, and then they wanted to get help to from uh, people who had done that before and are like experts in running such projects. Uh, so that's what we were doing. But I think uh, what uh, I really liked at the time is the, the whole um, uh, way McKinsey was structured. Uh, they talked a lot about doing the dual mission, like helping uh, their um, um, uh, helping their clients to really like have a significant positive impact on the clients to so make sure that there, there is a change and not just uh, you know a, a lot of slides <laughs> in the presentation. Yes. Yes. Uh, but the other uh, goal, um, which was on equal importance, uh, was to also develop the people that worked there. Uh, and I think they really did that well. Uh, and I think even my first or maybe it was second day uh, at McKinsey, I was thrown into a meeting with the CFO of a, like a big multi-billionaire, uh, you know, company. Mm. Um, of course, I didn't know anything uh, myself, but thanks to the support from the team, uh, how we were organized, I could already feel empowered in that meeting to say things to really be helpful for them. So I think no, it was like a really good way to, to like develop people really, really fast by throwing them out, giving them, you know, parts uh, of knowledge so that they could us could we could be uh, knowledgeable. Uh, and then uh, we that was a really, really rapid way for us to learn a lot of things very fast. What years is this? Uh, this was 2007. 
And you became an expert in how to run businesses, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Time, right? uh, and very, again, very generalist uh, way. So the way it works at McKinsey is you start, uh, you know, it's really a clear pyramid way. So mm-hmm. that you come in, you know nothing, you, mm-hmm. and then uh, you just learn from the projects that you're in, but you don't have any specializations. And, and then the longer you stay, the more focused you get into like areas where you have built, built up experience. Could, could you summarize some core of key tradition <coughs> type of profile of in, initiatives and projects that you were most involved with did did you get a path sort of thing no i did i didn't get that path so it was like still after three years very random or like whatever uh no no focus for me so it was everything from doing like a five-year strategic plan uh uh, of like a big retail chain to be down on the um uh on the factory floor clocking different people working in a factory right so it's like super different uh types of work which is great for me but also what actually i i started feeling after three years now i got what i need i understand much more about how businesses are run and how decisions are made made but i wanted to go back to tech so like i I still have the real tech in my dna so the nerd was there The nerd was there (laughs) Uh, so but i couldn't really get that uh, focus uh and i also like um really itched in my fingers to create to be part of building things myself, not just be a, an advisor. So that led you into the next step, right? Exactly. How did that happen? Um, was that? Yeah, that was, um, um, uh, so when I felt like this three years in at, at McKinsey, I felt like my, my uh, I, my learning curve was a bit uh, flattening, flattening off a bit. Uh, and it was also a bit predictive. I felt like if I stay here, I'm, I know exactly what I will do in the next 10 years. And that I realize now is not what I thrive with. Yes. I want to learn and, and I love the, un- the uncertain stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, my uh, colleague uh, back then, Johan Passion, uh, oh. who is now called Johan Forshud, um, he uh, was at McKinsey, a colleague of mine, and then he went to Spotify because he was then uh, helping uh, Daniel Ek with his uh, special projects um, uh, that Daniel had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when uh, when Johan Daniel left, is the founder of Spotify. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, when so when Johan left, I told him that that's exactly a company that sounds super interesting to you, for me to join. You were basically showing off. Oh. Damn it, you yeah. got the perfect job. Exactly. So I said, <laughs> if you need more people, let me know. And then two weeks later, he said, we need more people. Do you want to come? <laughs> awesome. So that's uh, how that happened. But uh, I mean, this is so fun because we've had several guests with, with some Spotify pedigree, so to speak. And uh, we started joking, I think it was Lale. And, and you were, uh, what number did you have, Anders? And, and right. uh, So what year is this and how, how what's early? What's my number? Yeah, what's your number, man? <laughs> I think we were 120 people, if I remember correctly, when that's I joined. And were you in beta then, or were you in No, uh, that was, uh, it was uh, really, so this was 2010. So, uh, so you were, yeah, it was you, late. Yeah, but this <laughs> beyond beta and commercial, the commercial model was up there. Because I, I remember one, the first time I envisioned spot, I met Spotify, yeah. so to speak, one of my friends at the, the work I was, they, oh, we, we, we had a, we were playing music and we, oh, it's for free. And where was this? This is Spotify. It's a beta. I can't remember what year yeah. it was, but. Be a little bit after that, I think. Yeah, so. after that, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, but it was uh, I, back then I felt like, wow, this is, uh, it would have been fun to be part in this early on. Yeah. Uh, now it's too late, but of course <laughs> it wasn't, right? Quite early. <laughs> and what was your, what did you start working with at that time? Um, so I um, uh, I ended up having a, a similar role as Joanne. So we were two of us having this like special projects role. So helping right. out with whatever things that uh, Daniel and the management team needed help with. Mm-hmm. 
but very early on, when I got, uh, when I approached a running a, some kind of project with them, for them, I said, well, well, then to make this decision, we need to have data, right? right. Um, and uh, then we figured that we saw that, well, wait, we don't have any data. There is very little data here to work with, and there is no team that I can work with who can actually provide me with this data. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, at that time, I said, uh, you need to have, I think you need to build a, a data team um, mm -hmm. to Daniel. And then uh, in true startup uh, sense, he said, that's a good idea. Why don't you build that for me? <laughs> <laughs> is this pre the famous server? The firm, the for, is this pre the first Horton cluster? Uh, no, yeah. so this is, yeah, this is yeah. pre, uh, or, or this is during, I would during, say, because yeah. um, uh, the good thing about uh, that time was that we had great developers, right, yeah. uh, who uh, all of them were like eager to try out the latest and greatest in, in tech. Uh, so some people had already picked uh, this uh, Hadoop, the, 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 the technology. Hadoop, sorry, no, it, was, it wasn't Hadoop pure Hadoop. Exactly. The Hadoop in the closet. Yeah. It was not Horton, sorry, not Horton. Exactly. The Hadoop in the closet. <laughs> Horton came later. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, so we had the great <laughs> people this. in the team that had picked that uh, technology already and uh, started working, playing with it. Um, so that was uh, like a, a few people who were involved in that. So I kind of tried to put them all together and make this into uh, a, a more, a bit more structured organization and then staff it up with more, more people on the tech side, but also uh, on the uh, analytics side. So who could actually analyze this data and make that, make better decisions out of it. Mm. Uh, basically what we said we need for the, for the politicians, right? So uh, I, I saw on, on your LinkedIn profile, vice president analytics. Right. So that was go and do something. Daniel said, why don't you fix the data then if you want analysis? Yeah, exactly. You, 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 become become yourself. you, you become BP analytics. That's exactly how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, and how was that? How did you interpret that role at that point in time? Or what, how did you, how would you look <clears> at your OKRs back? You know, what were they? Um, yeah, in the beginning it was, um, uh, I mean, we were very early on to, to start to explore how can we work with this data? How can we make better decisions with all this amount of data? We, I mean, we were early on to, to, to have all these different events, but basically you can say like every click of every user in a data set. That's an, an enormous amount of data that no one had actually looked at before. So in the beginning it was just like helping out to figure out, uh, make sure that we have that data available, like just having that. And, and I remember it didn't mostly work at all. Uh, so we had to do a lot of work or the developers too. But do you remember, so. can you remember what were the first questions that you wanted to have answered? What's the insights or decisions that you wanted to support? Yeah. What was I, your first use case? I mean, the, one of the very first one was to, uh, it wasn't at the time where, when, um, uh, it was a lot of debate on how to restrict Spotify, uh, because, uh, this was linked to label discussions where, uh, we want to, or they wanted to enforce different types of restrictions. So, um, and eventually it led up to, uh, us having to say that every user can only play one track for on the free side for five times ever. Mm -hmm. After that, it should be like blocked and you cannot play the same song again. Super complex and uh, cumbersome thing to, to implement, uh, implement, uh, and also for the users, really, really awful. Uh, but uh, uh, that actually did happen. But before that, it was a lot of uh, analysis around that. So how can we make risk? Uh, like, if we are about to create restrictions, what should we do? And, and this was the record labels that had crazy ideas in the beginning before they understood where yes, this was going. Exactly. Because at that time, the power, power balance was yeah. di very different, right? Uh, but then uh, since we had that data, of course, we wanted them to like, how can we use this data to understand 
and uh, get informed in that decision. How can we stimulate that? Uh, so together with Eric Bernason, who um, he did a lot of great uh, work to simulate uh, this. Uh, I remember we called it the snowball analysis. So what if, like looking into how people's behaviors were at that time, like how many times do you listen to a track? How many would, would uh, hit the cap? Uh, and what do we believe about their uh, churn uh, probabilities afterwards? And what will that lead to? If we have the cap at five or at 10 or at 20 or in hours, like playing out with different scenarios like that. That was one of the first things we tried. Super cool. And you continue to grow that for, for some time and you built a graph team as well. Which I, All right. Yeah. <laughs> you forgot about that. <laughs> and, uh, and so many more things. Any like big highlights that you would like to <clears throat> mention perhaps during your Spotify years? Um, oh, there are so many. Um, but I think, yeah, I think in general, just seeing how this, um, this new ability that we could see so much and we could simulate at this level that I just mentioned everywhere and see how that tr transformed the way we worked in all the different functions. So now we talked about uh, how to simulate that, those, uh, possible, uh, limitations using customer behavior, but then thinking about the same we did for, uh, for doing marketing, we were super early on to do performance marketing, right? And, and it's the same um, philosophy we apply there too. So, okay, we can actually see which users we uh, that we pay for, that when they come in, what do they do? What's the value of that? And and we could uh, uh, we could get much more granular in that. And it's so so cool to see how that transformed everything we did and made us much better in in like the general decision making. Uh, and then uh, also the psychological aspect of that. So how that changed how people work, how, how they view themselves and how they should view their own views uh, of how the world works. Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, I remember some people in the, in the design team, first time we talked to them about like, okay, you have built a great design here, but actually we, you know, we've seen in data that people react in this way. Uh, so maybe we could try something like this. And the immediate reaction for someone who's never used data like that is like, well, you know, I know how this works. Don't come to me and, and uh, tell me how users uh, think here. I, I know how this works. Uh, and then, uh, um, seeing how we got from that point to actually getting data as a very natural part of, of the, even the designers uh, tool, toolkit and how that made them even better, right? Yeah. Uh, same with everywhere. Uh, I think that uh, that was a big uh, uh, takeaway for, for myself that still holds. And I think it's still also going back to the politicians, something that they will need to go through if they are ever going to be really data driven. But, but you, you, you are, you, you're hitting a really raw nerve in a good way now, because when you're driving and, and explaining your big highlight, like one of the key highlights. Mm. Um, I mean, like Spotify in many ways in Sweden is one of the real poster childs of how would you define a data-driven business yeah. in, in Sweden. And everybody looks up to Spotify and forgets you started from scratch in thinking about data as well. Yeah. You happen to be part of that process. Yeah. Now, could you under, could you reflect if there were some instrumental moments or instrumental moves you did that made this happen or accelerated your data driven that this took on? Because it could have been used another project and then oh well, that's not really cool. We do something else. Yeah. So why did it stick? You know, could you could you reflect on that those instrumental moments that makes the data driven mindset stick? How, how what did you do that? Um, yeah, I mean, um, it, we, the, the first thing I think was to, uh, that we did 
manage to get all of that data okay. as the first place that we could, and not everyone can, right? And you, Especially but you worked really hard, just struggling to get yeah. the data. And that was thanks to the, um, I think it all started with, um, with a very complex reporting needs yeah. of Spotify that we had to report every stream. We, uh, the, the, we had logic that actually uh, dependent uh, was depending on like to figure out how much money everyone should get. You had to actually look at every single stream. So we had to all early, uh, already very early on f find um, solutions for how can we actually calculate that. And this was before my time in the beginning. Uh, so, but I think that was so a, that is actually meaning that to re to to some degree have a, have a grip on data for the core business model. It was ingrained in the core culture and business model early on. That's a problem for many that they don't have. That yeah, and no, I think maybe the culture, the general data driven culture, probably come, came later when we started to use that data for 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 business okay. decisions. Mm. But we couldn't get there unless we had uh, we 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 had ability to store all the data, and we couldn't get there unless we started. I think by uh, by this uh, complex reporting requirements that forced us to use this technology that, that allowed us to store so all the, first, the it first helped us to get very early on in that really good point uh, but I think the other thing uh, uh, is to um, I think this initiative to start the analytics team uh, that Daniel um, asked me or I asked him and he asked me back I think it was uh, it was a crucial point to get that centralized early on um, uh, in the journey, and then the really that top support, the really the top real, support. Real top I mean, support. I was I was reporting to Daniel Ek as the, this uh, um, head of analytics as uh, for several years in the beginning, uh, mm -hmm. and I think very few companies have done, have that. done that, and that made it very centralized, right? So in all the the different management meetings, I was mm -hmm. there. I was like all the time trying to think about um, uh, how can we get data on what we're discussing right now. So not stack three layers down, five exactly, layers down. Exactly, so I think that was very important. So you could then indoctrinate the data agenda in the real meetings. Yeah, exactly. And after after meetings, like uh, taking people aside and like, maybe I have uh, some ideas where maybe we can find something in what and we were you discussing had relationships. now. Yeah, you had exactly. The and the context of the important questions that are really matters for the company right now. Because sitting <sighs> in, uh, sitting with all this data and just sifting through and create analysis and graphs that no one uses, that's that's a recipe for disaster. So, so it has to be connected to what really matters for the company. And so to get that, you need to you know bring data to those questions. But I, I, I tried to summarize because this is super strong points. If you have a VP analytics at some point, really, really high up in the organization, it means that that person, you are indoctrinated by the real business questions. Mm. So when you go down and talk to the tech team, you heard it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And this is a huge difference to working on the floor, so to speak. Yes. And sitting with all that data, but you don't really know the agenda that really kills it. That's exactly. a key moment. I think also, you know, Daniel has an engineering background himself. Yeah. Um, do you think that's an important part? Do you Definitely. Think, do you think like CEOs or the top management team should have an engineering background? Uh, you don't probably have to have an engineering background, but I think uh, if if the CEO has a like a data driven mindset, mm. like trying to find objective facts for mm. his or her decisions, then of course that's going to uh, define the culture for how uh, how the rest of the management team works as well. Mm. Yeah, so many stories there, and, and I remember you know you trying to force me to to come early to Spotify at some point, and you I think the the big lore that you had was that they had a big Spotify party in the summer, 
summer party. <laughs> That's and, why you uh, started. And you That's never told me that that That's was the real reason. <laughs> uh, you already hooked me before that, but, but you said, you know, if I leave the other company early on, you know, you will actually be able to join this you know, insane party where they bring all the employees from all over the world. He never told me this. <laughs> oh, cool. he's shallow. He's a shallow man. Yeah, exactly. he, he loves beer. But it was a really like dancing too, I know. Yes. <laughs> Dance punch. Yeah. But it was a. Um, yeah, but but let, let me ask this question. Yeah. You know, let, let's be a little bit personal. How did you t- two guys meet, or how did you get your eyes on Andres? How did you pinpoint Andres, or what? How? Why did you want him, and why did you want him, and why did you fall in love? And <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm joking. And how did you get married? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? There? No, but what's the story here? Because you, I think you were courting him a little bit before he joined. Uh, Is that correct? Uh, courting. I, I, I asked him to join and he said no first and then later no, on. He, no, he, did he tell no, you that? No, he was easy. He uh, was an easy catch. <laughs> just, you know, I'm really hard joking. Is, is, uh, no. But joking, I think, no, I think um, uh, at that time, when, when was it? 2011? Something. 12, I think. 12. Uh, then we had come uh, quite far on the on building, building out the analytics team and I think um, um, macro wise, um, this technology even started to get traction as like big data that that coin was termed. It was starting to be, be a big thing, right? Big yeah. data was the, the shit. That's the shit. That's the hype train. Uh, so like, um, this started to become a, a big thing. And at the same time, machine learning got this, it's, uh, um, comeback, right? From the winter, thanks to, to the data, um, evolution, because suddenly we had data to work with. And uh, Spotify had great uh, machine learning engineers uh, for to build the recommendation systems and things like that, which was great. Uh, but for the analytics piece, we didn't really have that. Mm. So in our team, we did not have uh, machine learning expertise because no one had done that for like analytics purposes mm. at the time. Uh, so I thought uh, it would be great to have that, like explore how can we use machine learning practices for the analytics purposes. Uh, and then I wanted to find who should I work with. And then um, I did uh, what I think you always need to do, like to spend hours to find who is the best person to talk to here to and then try to to uh, trick them to come over, <laughs> join. And um, how did you, did you have a connection or how did you? No, it, it was a pure LinkedIn search. LinkedIn search. <laughs> LinkedIn, uh- Cold, cold outbound. Yeah. But it was, it, it's of, it of course helps with, uh, I think that premise. At the time we had uh, a strong early brand even at that yeah. time, I think. Yeah, you had, yeah. Uh, and also we had a lot of data. So yeah. for anyone interested in this field, it's yeah. a perfect thing for, for, uh, to, to, to join Spotify, of course. Yeah. And where were you at that point in time? I forget, you were at um, Campania. Campania then, right? I mean, I think I remember one of the questions you asked me the first time you met at this um, uh, yeah, pub or cafe or whatever it was. Um, and it was something about, you know, how to deduplicate things. And I remember I actually did a very similar type of work in, in a previous place that I worked with. Um, yeah, I still remember that. It's, it's so, a so it's a little bit like, yes, he asked me the right question. And he offers me a party. <laughs> yeah, but that was later, actually. It wasn't the, yeah. anyway, cool times. And, yeah. Good, um, good and story, by that. the way. Good yeah. story. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Cool. Um, should we move on as well to, you also moved to EQT. And, and I think, you know, we can mention also, you know, w- when you left, because I think that was a big controversy. And a lot of people was really upset about that <laughs> and how that happened. Uh, I've never seen so many people being upset at that time. <laughs> what um, was that all about? Um, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> 
That's a tricky topic that I have not much answers to, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. We, we can skip that. But I, I think everyone was really upset when you left as well. And um, But at the same time, I had been there for five and a half years. So I think um, it was... Uh, I, fe- I felt that I started to, I love the building phase, the creative, mm. like being part of the early uh, um, days of something. And at that point, I've been there so long. So teams were big. I think I had 75 people and everything was kind of rolling. Uh, and um, um, It's a different stage. It, it was a lot of politics about the US versus Stockholm. Yes, and exactly. It wasn't so much fun. And I had to more to work as a, act as a kind of a shield uh, for our team versus the rest of the org than, than doing what I loved most, uh, which was their, this early phase. Yeah. So I felt that uh, at the same time that what I've learned, it's just so unique, right? All the experiences that Less, we had developed. What so, can I do with this? Yeah, this is a lot more important and valuable every or other places and if i can use that to create something new that that would be uh, and, interesting but when, and what uh, was it aqt was this uh, stage of the spotify yeah exactly you, what was the trigger why was aqt interesting uh, so I think at, uh, after Spotify, I did uh, a bit of soul searching. Where should I, uh, where should I apply this now? Where, where should I go next? Should I do, uh, I explore different routes. Uh, should I use this uh, new, uh, knowledge of mine to, uh, to join another startup early phase, uh, or should I go to, uh, like a big, uh, big, in- like incumbent org to try to sh- change them transform them transform them that could be an option well, welcome to my world yeah exactly i did uh, i did uh, um yeah did meet uh, many of them and i actually did also talk to the uh, ex consultants or not ex the consultants again and see should i go back there because that would also be an interesting choice so i did explore like actually i did end up with eight different uh, offers uh, before to really like get to like so you were you were hot you were hot <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, but then that was good for me because then I, I i had to do that to really challenge myself what what is it that i really want next and then uh, this thing um, uh, to at really resonated best with me and um, what was that why yeah so then uh, it was to create something new like uh, be part of, of crafting something from the beginning so this was to create a new ventures fund uh, and i really love that uh, and the why and the reasons for why uh, when we wanted to do to build eqt ventures as a, a new new type of fund that didn't exist in europe at the time it was oh, a, so you were part of building that fund as well yeah oh, so who, who was who, who 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 pitched you who got you in uh it was um uh, the one who connected me should get credit for that is Sofia Benz. Yeah. So she, she knew Yalmar yeah. Vindar, who, uh, uh, was uh, like the godfather of, uh, yeah, yeah. of that. Um, so oh, well. they connected or she connected us. We had Aurora Belfrog here right. on the show yeah. not so long ago. And she, she, he, he, she spoke to him like he was God. Yeah. I'm joking, <laughs> but, but <laughs> you know, we, 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 he's impressive. Yeah, definitely. And, um, uh, so we met and then I really liked, uh, what we, what they had thought together or thought about what they wanted to create, like a big, a different thing, a different venture fund. And because from my Spotify days, I, I met with uh, probably all yeah. investors at the other side of the table because mm-hmm. they were coming to us when we were pitching, yeah. uh, for our rounds at Spotify. And then all the time I had to, or we had to educate them on how they should look at our business, right? Cause we were far ahead of like metrics and data and stuff. So we had to educate them. And then I was thinking like, what if we cr- can create another new modern investor that actually looks at things in the right way? Um, That's a cool proposition. Yeah, of course. Uh, and the other was the, um, 
and of course the data driven aspects of uh, like what if we make a of course we should use all the data that is out there uh, about companies to to figure out which companies we should talk to first so the mothering concept yeah i see what you're going there but yeah. before we go there perhaps you can just explain you know what would what was the main ideas about the eqt ventures compared to the classical eqt uh, investments that they yeah were. so the um uh, so actually, we talked about Equity Ventures as only the Ventures Fund first. So and the main first, the, or the four pillars of why we want to create a new fund was to create a, a big fund. So the first fund was 566 million euros. How much? 566 million, million. euros. Million euro. And that was uh, very different from all the other funds in Europe because we saw that there's a big gap in Europe. There is no big funds in Europe. Every no, big fund is in, in the US. US. Yeah. So that was a big one, thing, one of the big things. Um, and uh, that was where I love ambitions, right? So I, I wanted to create <laughs> world-class stuff. Uh, so that love, I love that. And the other thing was the uh, to have a team of not bankers running the fund, but actually having a team of people from that had been part of tech uh, startups before. Right. Mm. There, there weren't that many in Europe that had been part of, of the unicorn uh, journeys. Uh, so we collected a really strong team of people uh, like myself, but also from Booking and from King. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really love that. So and because I could also relate to it. If I could talk to people that had done tech startups so before, cool like if I could, when I was head of analytics and could talk to people that had done that, that would mm -hmm. be really, really helpful, I thought. Mm -hmm. I like that part, that's the second thing. And the third thing was the data-driven part. So that's, what if we try trying to do a really data-driven fund? That's mm -hmm. the mother project. And the fourth thing was, let's do it um, as a new fund, but we don't want to do everything ourselves. So like, how can we build this on top of another platform? And that was where EKT came in. Because with EQT, we could get a lot of things um, uh, for free, <laughs> not for free, but uh, together so, as a joint thing. So w we could build it on top of uh, EQT's all experiences and all the infrastructure with HR and fund management and everything. So is, could you say, is EQT Ventures sprang out of EQT or is it someone who comes up and pitches and we, you partner up sort of thing? If you, uh, if you look at the mechanism here, yeah. because you're almost saying now, like Yalman did sort of the, we want to work with you. We have this idea. Can we be a yeah, branch of you? Exactly. I think uh, Yalman had been an advisor for EQT for long before that too. Yes. So it's kind so of he, he had hybrid. The network and relationships yeah. and the conversations were there. I guess he was kind of developing this idea already with yes, EQT in mind, right? So I think, yeah. Super cool. Cool. And can you mention perhaps some uh, companies that the uh, Equity Ventures were investing in, some highlights from that time? Um, yeah, I, we invested in uh, 100 companies before I left, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a lot. Uh, so uh, one of the uh, most valuable, value, uh, valued companies so far, uh, I think, is Volt, mm -hmm. uh, which was just exited to DoorDash. Uh, or, um, or uh, um, uh, yeah, that was uh, yeah, just this fall. So um, uh, that's a really, really uh, cool journey, and that was one of the very first investments. So that's uh, it takes a lot of time, right? To and how long time did it take before the exit for Vault? Uh, so we did that just when I joined, which was um, January sixteen, I think, to now mm. five years. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
And well, so basically you, you were there when you set this up. So you started with like, now you have a hundred investments and how many investments was on the, you were there setting it up. Yeah, literally. exactly. So when so I joined, so. just, uh, so th when I joined, uh, we, uh, had, uh, or the Yalmar did some kind of first invest, very, very earlier uh, investment, like a test investment first, like pre, even before it was official, I think. But the first close of the fund was just, uh, the month after I uh, joined, uh, but then it was like the pre-launch. Uh, so the relaunch was in May. So it was, uh, yeah, it was early on. Mm -hmm. And then also you were instrumental in something called Mother Brain as well. It sounds like something from uh, HAL 9000 or something, but what's Mother Brain and, and what yeah. do they try to do? Uh, so that was the... Um, uh, really the, the, the way I think about it is at least uh, it's the manifestation of everything, uh, about working with data to make, uh, our investments better. And that could be anything from sourcing to doing the analysis, to helping the companies with whatever they need help with, uh, to exits. Uh, so that was, uh, our, our, our vision, uh, that this is like everything we do as VCs can be automated and data driven, right? That's the, the vision of that. Did my mother brain, like when it was <coughs> conceived, did it have a very, like, a, like a clear objective or clear mission statement? Um, yes, but it has evolved. Yes, of course. Uh, which I think is, is natural and how you should do it because it's impossible to know in the beginning, uh, what you, uh, everything that it, it should do. So I think, uh, if we all agree on that, uh, so what I felt that when I started that we could probably all agree that, you know, 10 years from now, I said, or we said that, uh, then a lot of the things we do today will be automated and be, be much better done using data. That's, uh, that's just how it's going to be. Could we all agree on this and what is then the steps that we can exactly. do to be positioned? Exactly. So where do we start? Right. Uh, and, um, uh, and then, so it's impossible to figure out exactly how to do everything, but we all agree on that. That's going to be the case this is the, in the, the future. general direction, the direction is there. Direction is clear. And then we try all the time to then, uh, um, I love the, the bets framework from Spotify, yeah. uh, the, to just then, okay, so here we are right now with the resources we have, where should we bet on to make the most out of, you know, this next period of, of uh, a quarter or something like that to get us towards the future. Mm -hmm. uh, Perhaps you could elaborate a bit more because I don't think people understand the bets framework. This, but this can you just um, describe a bit more what that uh, is really all about? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was there, it was uh, called the dibs. It's mm -hmm. probably called something else today, but uh, in, in um, uh, just the notion of having, uh, when you make decisions, you mean you, you, uh, you want to collect data about something. Um, you should just make sure that you have the data about, uh, you know, the context of the decision you're about to make. From there, you uh, would want to phrase, uh, uh, insights to what does this tell you? So, so what are the ins insights? It's dibs and data exactly. insights. Data to insight. We go now. Yep. So you, you uh, just don't, not just, um, you shouldn't just be happy with the data, but just formulate the relevant insights that you can see the facts of that data. Uh, and then what does it tell you? And, and then here is uh, the beliefs. So we believe, so here are, here you kind of lose the facts bit because, uh, you want to formulate what the are hypothesis. the beliefs, the hypothesis of, of our company right now based on this insights. What do we believe in from this, but still connected to the, to the insights. So you force yourself to connect your beliefs into data points. Mm. Uh, and then from there, uh, you have uh, beliefs on what you think you, you, uh, want to do or things, uh, uh, opportunities that you could do if you want. And then it's about the prioritization. So where, where should we focus? What, what should we do? 
And instead of just saying that uh, we should do all these things, this is the roadmap for the next three years, uh, bec- uh, then uh, let's not do that because we don't know what will work, how we should do things. We will have to learn on the go. Uh, and then uh, let's make sure from the insights beliefs, uh, uh, then uh, let's make some bets on what do we believe right now should be our best uh, uh, effort on getting towards the, so the future vision. Second B, bets. Uh, or no, it was beliefs. So beliefs, beliefs. Yes. So and then the, the last uh, or the second beliefs bets. So yeah, that's what I meant. Beliefs bets. Yes. I, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but uh, I think also a lot of companies are, and, and I'm going to be a bit offensive now. Uh, so sorry for that. But I think so many people that are driven more, or companies that are driven more by accountants, are looking much more into second month, second quarter, and trying to optimize that, but don't have the more long term kind mm. of bets in place. Right. Exactly. So um, uh, so I think to make those bets, you need to make sure what you're betting towards. Right? Mm-hmm. So you need to formulate the, the vision or the direction for something further ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's more than just one quarter ahead or two quarters right. away. So yes. that's important, right? And that's how you evaluate what, um, which of all these opportunities should we bet on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you, bet on t- you bet on the things that you believe right now with everything you know with the data that you have right now had the highest chance to take you towards uh, mm. the, the future and direction. it's a single but, bet as well it's multiple bets that you're trying to work yeah with. exactly but you also cannot bet on everything so you, you have to focus right so you yes. pick on um and and you don't make it like let's bet the five next years on this you make it in, mm. into sizable chunks that you can like you formally you scope them down to something that you can bet on right now that is like a yeah, it's a piece of uh, like a step towards something. Can you give an example of a bet? Like, uh, how would you frame? Uh, is that a project? Is it a use case? Is, is it a direction? Is it a key result? Uh, it's uh, it's more like a company bet, uh, where it uh, doesn't have to be linked to just a team or anything like that. It could be uh, we believe uh, we will, now we want, we believe uh, that uh, mobile is going to take over the world because uh, we see that in the data, and uh, we're going to bet on making a. Uh, uh, a sign up flow that actually allows people to sign up th- on their mobile phone because they didn't have that uh, when I started. Right? Um, so let's make a bet on that we, because we believe that that's going to help us a lot. We don't know, like, should we build a complete iPad app and everything on mobile? We don't know yet, but let's start on this uh, and then we see what happens. I mean, I think that's a good example in the Spotify days as well, where that's one of the few companies that actually be- made a really big transformation mm. going from desktop first to mobile first. Yes. Right? And that was in 2011 or something? Yeah, like? uh, or yeah, 11 and 12. Uh, yeah. So when we, 11, we launched the US. Yeah. And I remember then we did not have uh, the, the free version of mobile. So I remember like, talking about like, when we launch in the US, we're going to have big announcements on stages uh, everywhere. Like lots of people will hear about Spotify for the first mm-hmm. time. Uh, they will check that on their phone. Mm. Isn't it weird that they cannot sign up on the phone? <laughs> That's no, weird. No brainer. That's so simple. <laughs> now it's a no brainer, right? But at that time, but it, was, it was like. But when you stated yeah, like that. You're right. That's a good idea, you know? Because you have, the, you have the conversion point right there and yeah. then you're not going to take it? It's, it's hilarious. We didn't have that at the time. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, it's so obvious today, but in 2010, no, you know, they, they didn't think obvious. about, I no. mean, then you, you didn't think mobile would be but as that's, big that's as why I love the bets. This, the, I mean, like you ask a little bit, like we are stuck in, in the, in the planning horizon, yada, yada, yada two months, three months. Mm. I argue it, 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 it's a different type of steering because you have 
plan-driven steering, which is more traditional stable business uh, supply and demand, that fundamentally doesn't work. Those metrics does not work in a startup or in a great uh, uncertainty. Mm. So you need to have an, I call it plan-driven versus hypothesis-driven. Yes. And I argue that most of the companies, this is the real transformation they're going through, not the data transformation, in the steering of Scania. Mm. How do I, because now they, they understand that if I do this on Scania, right? Data points are the transport ecosystem. The insight is that there will be different types of roles and, and, and aggregators. Our belief is, you know, yeah. we, we, we want to go sell transport solution. This is clear. Then trying to put that into plans according to a plan economy doesn't work. No. Instead of going down, what are our biggest hypotheses and how do we steer our investments towards our bets? Yeah. And th this is a huge difference in how a corporate yes. traditional 100-year company is steered. But because you cannot make the plans because you don't have the data about it. No. Right? It's impossible. And that's why I love the, the bet. It's not a project. It's a bet because that uh, emphasizes that you don't know. Yes. And I think that's uh, so important, which and, and, is uh, and, and, a and big managerial you, shift. And then you get to the famous, we should be the best of feeling fast uh, type quotes mm -hmm. that you love to, to yes. tell because they all fit together now. Yeah. To say that without context. Risk, I mean, you shouldn't just, you know, do what the, the, the has worked in the past. You may, must make some kind of bet yeah. on something that you don't know if it will work. No, but, so but, but Daniel's EX quote sounds crazy. We are, we are mm. going to be the best to fail fast mm. in a plan scheme kind of way. No, you know, we don't know. So we're going to understand, we're going to test, we're going to bet, and then we're going to fail fast when we see that this bet is wrong. Yes. So when you put that statement in the right context, it makes so much, then it's profound in my opinion. Yes. Awesome. This is good nice, stuff, by yeah. the way. I'm, I'm a nice, nice topic, I think, about, you know, bets and how we can think above the quarterly kind of planning that so yeah. many others are getting st stuck in. But back to Mother Brains, you know, and, and uh, we also had William yeah. previously on yeah. the show as well. William, and, yes. Um, William, yes. And um, perhaps we can just, you know, recap a bit, you know, what is the, the approach that Mother Brain is <clears> taking to... Yeah, I guess what is what are they really trying to do? Are they basically trying to find the next best investments, or how would you define what their main goal is? Um, yeah, so um, uh, it started as we said. The, the vision has evolved during the years, yeah. which is uh, good and natural. Uh, and uh, it started, and I think the, one of the biggest uh, uh, things we have built so far is the sourcing part mm. where it's about finding the, the, the companies to invest in. Yes. Uh, and uh, I mean, that part is really not rocket science when you start thinking about it. It's a lot of data available about companies out there, a uh, lot of them, like uh, data about how companies are trending on app stores, uh, how uh, uh, the web uh, traffic is routed to the different, um, to the websites. Uh, data about uh, teams that are on these uh, uh, companies uh, and what they did before. A lot of this data is, is um, data that is, of course, correlated with if you're interested in, in uh, looking at this company or not. So when thinking about the investment decision, what, are, what is it that you look for in, when you evaluate an investment as an investor? Uh, so then you're going to have uh, lots of different aspects in that investment criteria that you look for. You're going to look for about the market. You're going to look at the traction of the company, the performance and the team and so forth. So the more that you can find data sources that are correlated with those dimensions before, the better you can do the automated screening. Mm -hmm. Right. It makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. So why is no one doing that? And that's the point, right? That's the point. No, you, you, you looked out, this is a hole. No one has started to do this data driven. No. Um, and we, uh, the data is just out there waiting for this to happen. And it's just about to uh, apply this data driven mindset to it, to investing. That's exactly what it is. Uh, and then um, uh, we, uh, of course, then should use, um, as soon as you have started to collect data, then you should, of course, use all the, the, the tools that you have in the modern data toolbox, which includes everything to machine learning as well. Yeah. Just use whatever you have to, to try to answer the questions in the best possible way. Uh, so that part, it's not rocket science, it's just out and do it, right? Uh, and then, um, of course, that make, meets, uh, means that uh, you will be able to, to uh, prioritize which companies you should not miss out on and you should um, look for. Um, and you can predict uh, with some kind of degree that uh, this com- these batch of companies would probably be, have a higher chance of succeeding later on versus these ones. You could see but that it, in the data. And it's about being then understanding what are the right questions to ask. <clears throat> you know, are you spotting companies or are you spotting trends? You know, are you sp- you know all this kind of stuff yes. really boils down to the hardcore mechanics of being a, an expert venture yeah. capitalist yes but then translating that into data points yeah, exactly and, and algorithms and algorithms so that is the total quest all the time uh, so it starts with figuring out try to deconstruct the investment decision what yeah. do we look for exactly uh, so and what makes us good is it trend that makes us good yeah. or is it that i can spot this Exactly. Company. And then what are we really spotting? And then try to, to, um, uh, put that into, into some kind of mechanics. So mm. how can we, okay, you talk about trends. Okay. So how can we quantify trends? Mm. Let's build some algorithms ah, to figure out exactly. trends. Exactly. Is this, is this a valid trend? Or, yeah. uh, or and, and then try to find, uh, what are the metadata about trends that you want to find? <sighs> right. And then quantify yeah. that. Unpack, so it's, it's unpack, unpack, unpack your unpack. brains all the time. Yeah. But and, and that works to some extent, right? You do all the things that uh, humans can do, but then you also start to figure out that, wait, well, a lot of the stuff that you say you do, you're not really doing, right? And it's no. not really what you're saying is that it's really correlated with later stuff. You start to see that, wait, wait, a lot of these decisions are, and then you come to, you know, emotion-driven. Bias. Bias. Not but, so, but is there some stuff that at least the current type of tech that we have in machine learning is not able to do and that humans are still better at when it comes to trying to do sourcing? Um, yeah, yes and no, but I think it's probably a matter of time. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, um, so for example, the, we always said that team, the team question to understanding teams is, is super key, right? right? Uh, and, uh, the, the composition of the team of your investment. Yeah, that or exactly. Or what is it that you say when you say team? That's a good question, right? Mm-hmm. What is it that you really mean when you say that, uh, we, uh, you want to look at the team? Is, does it mean, you know, what does it mean? It's a mix of what they've done before, the track record, track right? Record. But also the, the, just, um, um, Emotional connection, maybe, but how important is that actually when you start to quantify it? Yeah. Uh, so decomposing all of that and then thinking about, um, there is a lot of team information out there. Uh, and we started to explore that quite heavily and see that, well, actually, if you can start to combine data about what, um, companies have done in the past, uh, what investments they have done with the teams that were in place at that time. And then you get that information about teams into the future too. So say like, okay, well, here's a new startup. It's started by 
uh, these three founders, and one of them was actually part of this one. Spotify when when Spotify was growing in that period uh, and attracted great investors at that time. Mm. So doing those relationships links is impossible for a human to do, uh, yes. and uh, but it's, it's very easy to do for for. And that perhaps well. I think highlights some of the more unattractive things about you know building a startup that it's not sufficient to have the best tech or the best idea. Even sometimes, no. You, know, you have to have the right connections, perhaps as well, and right. Or how would you agree with that? Or? That that's uh, how it has been, right? And that's one of the things we wanted to disrupt, uh, okay. yeah. uh, because the way that investors find founders is a lot driven by connections. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that creates a lot of bad. Uh, Bad things, uh, bad in, bad investment decisions, but also lack of access for lots of founders. Yeah, because they don't uh, they don't have those networks. They're not used to talk no. to talk investor language. If they don't have the the data. They, they have to trust to whatever they have. But, yeah. and what they do have is the connections, and that's the only thing they can trust. Unless they have the proper data, yeah, that's what they have to resort to. I guess. And also, since uh, investors are humans, uh, we would also uh, start to. Tr- you always try to identify patterns mm. and uh, then the brain works is biased right so mm. if you feel that um, uh, here is another lead from a great person that give, given me leads before that led me to great right. investments yeah. if i get a new lead from this person it must be better perfect <laughs> i just i don't even have to check you know last time was fantastic let's do it again that's super hard right for a new founder that did not have that connection from before so yeah. it's it's uh, you get yourself so biased into this and then linked to this like you start to yeah and you need to look at the data and then you always try to see only see the data that supports again your your biased uh, uh, view from the beginning mm-hmm. uh, so that's the problem which we wanted to fix uh, where if you instead look at the uh, the objective data, look at the traction of the, the company, how fast is it growing? We, and we, we compare that to what other growth rates has been in the past for later successful companies. What does it tell us? And then try to uh, pr- uh, get the invest- investors to first prioritize those kind of companies first before they just jump on everything that's being sent to them. Mm-hmm. But that's a hard thing. Really, but, really hard. But, but let me take a, a ch- challenger position just for fun in yeah. this discussion. Like, because someone can argue, like, you know what? D- this is an artistry. It, it's so many com- dimensions mm. in order to pick one. So, you know, you know you're know, you kidding yourself. There's no objective path to this. This is really artistry and, mm. and, and it's instinct. Yeah. And, and that we almost, as humans, someone has the instinct. Yeah. But can you decompose it? No. So that would be an argument like, you know, if I take that position now, you know, of course you have, you have a vision, it should work, but yep. you, you, you must have gone down a lot of bad rabbit holes. Oh it. yes. Oh yes. So I mean like, because hypo- I love the hypothesis, yep. but is, will it fly, you know, or did yeah. you ever, ever doubt yourself on these topics? Of course, <laughs> a lot of doubt. Uh, but, um, uh, it's an art, uh, you could say, but let's quantify it. Oh. Right. So when is it, is it really an art and how can we answer that question? Well, maybe if we start to, uh, let's try some different dimensions. What if we try to say that, um, of all extremely early stage investments where there is just an idea, there is nothing, no data at all about the company, mm-hmm. then it's probably more an art, probably instinct about instinct. Maybe you could get information about what the team has done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is, no more data, but uh, but there's something that makes you think I'm, I, I believe in this person, yeah, and, and exactly. of course there are neurons happening in my brain why I believe you, yeah. right? 
exactly. And then there's also like uh, the the business idea. Uh, you could start to look into uh, the, the trends, the trends and, and you can do like, okay, they're starting on something in this trend that combines these different factors that we have proof points on that this is the next, it shows early signs of this is the next thing, right? So, so when you start unpacking but, it, I, I see what you're going. Yeah, that actually because the other parts. Peel the onion. You're saying what is art? Until you peel the onion, but if I think kung fu is art. Until you peel the onion, or what? Yeah. What is Bruce Lee actually doing? But it's such a, a common uh, counter argument. You know, uh, this is this is art, or I know this, right? Uh, and I, uh, that's great. Sales is art. But let's I know tr- let's try to to unpack it. Maybe yeah. it's not everything is is completely uh, impossible. Let's quantify how much is art. So mm-hmm. of, if we instead focus on some companies where they have come further, where there is data, you can quantify to say, okay, well, companies that have looked like this. This trajectory, this composition of team, uh, what's the probability of them succeeding? And you can quantify that, right? So it's not art. Well, it's art within a much more narrow uh, probability slice. But and what you did now, I think, is super important for everybody. You know, trying to convince their board to go more data driven, mm-hmm. right? Also, oh, and someone says, "Oh, sales is art. You cannot analyze sales." But you know what? Maybe we can look at the end-to-end sales process and we can unpack that. And then we can let the artful sales guys do what they do best. I'm sure there are things that can help them to sell more. I mean, like, so, so what you're doing when you, when you're peeling the onion, maybe something is art. I'm not saying no, but no. what is not exactly. art? And exactly. let's focus on that. This and is a very good rhetoric. By and, and then once you have identified those things, yeah. let's make sure we find other opportunities that match that. Right. Other uh, sales uh, leads or companies and then bring them in and let then we have more companies to do our art on. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's a little bit like you, because you get into that. I, I must uh, t- tell a story. I was at Vattenfall and uh, this is uh, you know, big, big uh, assets. And we were pushing for predicted maintenance in heat plants. In, in, this is in Germany. And this is the, this is a real argument. Uh, I don't need predictive maintenance. Mm. I can just feel it when it's vibrating the wrong way. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> this is real. But this is how this it is. happened, right? Yes. And and I was too young to have your argument. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to respond to that. No. I was just, I'm going to fuck off. I'm not going to work with this no. idiot. But that's real. Yeah, it's real. It, it, it no, happened. It's everywhere. It's happened. And if you would go back to these politicians that we started with, yeah, same. they say oh, the same. Oh, same. You know? Oh, I can oh. feel the market. Yeah. But isn't that funny, right? It oh, is, it's all uh, vibration. It's the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, but to some degree, this is interesting, right? Uh, sorry for rabbit holes, Hanesh. Yeah, I'm used to it. It's You're fine. used to it. <laughs> Actually, I think you missed it because I was in quarantine last time, and and so, you know when I we missed the rabbit holes, yeah, yeah, and it's like sometimes like, oh, Henrik, you fucked up my whole argument. I was going down this way, and you took it this way, yeah. and then when and then uh, when I wasn't there, oh. You miss me. You miss yes. me a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, the joke is, the rabbit hole. I, I think it's so much learning in what we're talking about now. So, so I'm I'm trying a little bit to take the dumb oh, guys uh, argument to reflect on what the hell did we say now? Because yeah. I think there was some profound stuff. When you come into EQT, in, in in essence, what we are what you're doing now, you're going into an, an industry that is not traditionally so data driven mm. and Yalmar is super smart and identifies that this is the new trend. So he recruits someone who has the right thinking to help him unpack this yes. because Yalmar himself can't do this. No. 
But he, he knows he enough. Knows so he knows enough. He, he, he did the dibs. Yeah. He did the dibs. And he got the right guy in to help him unpack. Now, I think this is profound in how big corporates need to think if they want to be data-driven. Yeah. And they, they need to do what Jalma did, essentially, or what uh, Mr. Ek did. Yes, <laughs> totally. What did you, it's that simple, No, right? that's, that's, that's totally right. I just wanted to confirm that. Yes. I think this is huge yeah. in terms of it's, simplicity. Uh, simplicity. If you really want to solve it, uh, it's no other way. It's, no. It's, it's, oh, the, it's the most direct route, I would argue. The, the other, if I can add one more thing to it, it's the... the uh, <laughs> <laughs> to your rabbit hole. To my rabbit hole, sorry. Uh, is the, uh, the importance of getting it into the, the, the work process. Mm. Because you can do... Um, you can do uh, like uh, unpack this and do a lot of an analysis, right? And come up with conclusions that look, this is how we should do it. Look at this. This is, uh, this is not art. This is, we can really quantify this and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, and you can get a lot of nodding heads, right? And then they go back and do your work. And that's like, we've always done it. Oh, this is so good. Uh, but how do you change that? Uh, yeah. That's how, hard. How do you change the actual behavior? So then you, you have to, at least this is what I uh, learned in the mothering project. You have to build or you need to make sure that the, the tool that the people use in their day-to-day -day life is affected. So you need to get, get the, the, the data, the AI, the algorithms into the, the things that actually um, uh, the team use to do their everyday work. I think this is profound number two, because we have all these BI tools over on the, on the side yes. here, but I'm, I'm doing my sales job yes. over here. Exactly. That's not really going to fly. Is That's that not going to fly. That's never going to fly. Yeah. So, because who, uh, who sits and do their work here, uh, and their day-to-day -day work that, um, uh, where you manage, you know, what is important for you. And then someone tells you, oh, you should also go and see in this other system to find some stuff that is cool. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, that sounds amazing. And then I go back and do my work here. You're never going to change their minds. You need to minds. indoctrinate the insight hardcore back in. And now this is the full circle back into, we can't just have BI and analytics on the side. We need to operationalize it. You know, so, all the way back to even if it's not for Spotify's operationalizing it for the end customer, mm -hmm. but you need to think the same thing way operationalizing AI or analytics, even if it's internal insights yes. and decisions. It's yes. That's the bottom line. Yeah. So the, the tools that the, your teams use for their day to day job, that's where you need to make sure that, the, that the whatever, whatever you learn from your data and, and AI work has to go in and affect the way you work. I love this. Sorry. No, now you go. Now Rabbit hole done. I, would, oh, I don't believe you, but let's hope so. <laughs> We're like one hour and 20 minutes into, and we haven't, you know, come to, to the real meat of the discussion. Let's yet. go then. <laughs> but then thinking about it, you have expertise in how to run companies, you know, from McKinsey about making them data driven from Spotify, how to get funding from, uh, with, you know, EQT. And now you're starting your own company. Yeah. How did that happen and yeah. what you're going to do? What am I doing? <laughs> so please tell us, you know, um, what, what's up? It's called Arc Capital, right? Yes, hmm? exactly. Um, funny that you asked about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One and a half hour thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, no, I think um, uh, this is, um, I mentioned that I love starting things and building mm -hmm. things. And I think, again, after five years, uh, at EQT, I felt that uh, now this uh, really works. Uh, we have two funds in EQT Ventures 1 and 2 running. 
Uh, I was also part of uh, setting up this uh, uh, the growth fund as well, and the whole Motherbrain team was uh, not just like started as an idea. We started to build it, and then we had twenty five people, so it became like a big startup of its own within. You can see, so that's like the ship is sailing. This is really fantastic, uh, and uh, we have great teams that work on that. Uh, and that uh, got me, you know, started thinking, uh, or like my nerves were starting to itch again for starting a new thing again. Yes. Uh, and at the same time, also seeing all these great founders that I met during my years as an investor, uh, pitching all the time every week by tens of, of founders, uh, and then seeing how my judgments were like sometimes correct and sometimes not correct. And also trying to work with these companies to like uh, being, um, uh, help them to with different things. And sometimes I was just frustrated. Why don't they do what I tell them? I, I see what I, how this should be done. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and sometimes I feel like I, it's probably not that easy when you, when you get there yourself. So I just wanted to start something myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I had uh, several ideas during my years of things. If I start something, what should I do? And one of these things was uh, uh, what came out from a um, frustration and observation of these different uh, great founders that I met with. So many founders are building great companies, uh, but they don't fit perfectly well for the VC mandate. Uh, so the VCs can, we can only, as a VCs, we can only invest in uh, in uh, in companies, if we see that here is an upside that could really be like hundred x of the investment, mm-hmm. because we know that uh, we have to make hundred such investments, and one or two or three of them will really right. work, and the rest will not work. So, so the upside of those every single case has to be like mega. Yeah. Um, so, lots of the founders that we met with, they they uh, we couldn't invest, even though they had great companies. They, when you look at the data, when you do your analysis, when you look at the numbers, you saw that this is a great idea. We already see that the metrics are, are great, but we can't invest as a VC fund. And I walked away. So you expect it, you have to have some kind of hundred x. It's a lot of checklist stuff that you need to check, uh, uh, such yeah. as that. So the upside needs to be huge. And uh, uh, maybe uh, for many of these founders, like it didn't really match that. They didn't want to build like take that much risk uh, and uh, go crazy about that or the the target segment was not big enough or it was required a lot of capital that we couldn't uh, go as a VC fund so many many companies out there build great companies great ideas um, uh, but we can't invest as VCs yeah. and these companies cannot go to uh, banks either unless they have been you know successfully profitable uh, for many years uh, because that's what banks are uh, are for. So there's a big gap here with great innovators and founders are building great solutions to world problems that we cannot fund. So who should fund these companies? To identify a gap here. That we yeah, a, big, a large gap. Uh, and uh, uh, so I felt like I wanted to start a company that could actually fund these companies. So another part uh, of it uh, is also that uh, in many of these companies who are doing great, uh, when you do the analysis, it makes a lot of sense that this is like perfect. When you do the analysis in the way you should do, like using the modern analytics approach, you can see that this is forecastable, this is predictable. <coughs> Uh, and then in those cases, it feels also a bit bad that why do you need to go to uh, a VC and give away 20% of your company uh, when it's all predictable? This is going to happen. Right. In some way, like using modern tech 
it's not high risk anymore, then you should not go to a risk investor, right? It's actually lower. You should be able to go to a bank, but the banks don't understand that they can't do that tech right. analysis. Right. Oh, nice. So that's the other part. So uh, when there is, I think um, from my perspective, having been in this analytics space for long, uh, for me, it was like in many, many cases, this is not high risk. You just do the an analytics. You see, this is, this is perfect. This is great. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, where VC money should go to where it's real, true high risk mm -hmm. and where there is no, uh, where there is predictable growth. They should be able to go to a bank and just lend money instead. Mm -hmm. So that was the other aspect. Um, so I wanted to start a company that. So what if we do a company that actually connects to the company's own data, do the analy analytics in the way that we know uh, that the best companies that are best at analytics do you know, the analysis. Uh, and then from that position, after knowing the companies in the best possible way, offer the best possible funding. Uh, that's what I wanted to start. Mm. Uh, but if I wanted to do that, then uh, I knew the data side. I was pretty, I'm pretty experienced in how to run, uh, uh, how to build out the analytics sides, right? And mm. Uh, but I did not know anything about the finance part. So how can we start a company that is a financial institution that lends money to someone? So I need to find other co-founders for that. Uh, so it's very meta, like a funding a funding company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's also like a big impact, right? If you do that well, you can have a really, really big impact. Uh, so that's um, that's what actually drove me the most, I think. So mm. this idea was like, wow, this if I do this well, we could I could fix like funding for many founders out there um, have them uh, let them grow much faster and in much more fair ways uh, yeah. and without giving away without giving away percent. like because i don't think that's really fair in those cases where the the growth is predictable hmm. uh, and then uh, we can serve as a complement to the vcs so the vcs could focus on the high risk stuff and really open and like fund really um, high risky bets and then uh, for the rest the other parts of the business which is predictable they could come to us mm -hmm. um, that sounds like an awesome opportunity for sure so you started that with some other founders as well yeah so uh, oliver and axel yeah and you are the, the three main people right now, right? Uh, no, we, so we are the three co-founders uh, yeah. and uh, they started the company uh, earlier last year yeah. and I joined full-time in September. Okay, cool. And since then we have uh, been recruiting as well and mm. uh, done a lot of fundraising as well. Oh, awesome. Can you just mention a bit, you know, how are you going to go about this? Uh, I mean, for, for a VC at least, you know, it's like five plus a year before you get any kind of return. From, from the investments you're doing, mm -hmm. how are you going to make that work? Um, uh, so the, uh, the nice thing here is that we don't have uh, the requirements that we have to have a 100x return right. uh, on our investments. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, what we need is that we need to have um, uh, the companies being able to, to grow into a situation where they can repay our loan. Mm -hmm. So it's a much lower, much lower uh, barrier for them to, or it lowers the scope or the definition of what, which companies that are in scope for us, which means that we can lend money to lots of companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, so do you offer loans with interest instead of a stake in a company? Exactly. Or? So that's oh, how it do? works. Oh. So what we need, when we do the analytics, we set it up uh, in the best possible way, you can get a really good view of where this company is heading. And we need to establish, do we believe that this company can, uh, is, is going to be able to repay the loan to us? Right. That's it for us, right? Ah, so it's not, uh, it's not the analysis as a VC has to do, which is, do we believe that this company can return our whole fund? 
Like, uh, it's a data-driven bank, right? It's a data-driven bank. It's a data-driven bank, but that is working with completely different metrics yes. that the old bank has a problem with dealing with. Exactly. In their but business, in their regular, in their policy. But it's, it's still, uh, uh, I mean, uh, the way a bank was formed in the past was using all the data available at that time. And we we do that now, right? So it's a, it's just an, a genera- like an evolution of the bank. Mm-hmm. If you create a bank and in 2022, of course, it, ha- it should look at all the data. Yeah, of course. Right. So you can argue that th- this huge gap is because the incumbents haven't really paid attention no. to the data. Exactly. Another industry that needs to be uh, transformed. Mm. Okay, so uh, I'm going to ask a question. You probably are not going to answer it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. But okay, so <laughs> how does please, your algorithm? How does it work? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the the link to our Git. <laughs> yes, yes, good. Open source the the whole you know. The whole thing. Yeah. yeah, maybe in the future. Uh, no, but it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're building it right now, right? So we, we're, we're in the, the seed stage of the company. Uh, and, uh, but, but basically we connect to, um, uh, the company's, uh, uh, platform. So every company that you start these days, you, if you have marketing, you, you're connected to, uh, Facebook or Instagram or Google where you run your ads. Uh, and then you may get some revenues from, if you have an app, you have revenues from Google, from uh, app stores, that's Google or, or yeah. iOS. Uh, and then uh, if you have a product, you might also have like uh, engagement data of your product. So clicks and stuff. And then you would maybe use Mixpanel or whatever you have, if you have that. So uh, if you're building your company, a tech company today, you have this, uh, you're using these kind of platforms. And if you're good with data, you're also connecting to these platforms yourself. And then you build your own analytics team and, and, uh, and build out your data-driven culture. Mm-hmm. Most companies don't get there. Uh, most companies will get there l- like years in maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, we, uh, even from your day one, you have access to, you actually, in theory, have access to the data from these platforms because there is APIs. Mm-hmm. So when you come to us, we connect to these platforms. Mm-hmm. So we get, a, we get this data immediately and then help you to show uh, immediately how the analysis looks like. So this mm-hmm. is immediately so you're, you're accelerating the uh, insight maturity of these companies as well. Yes. So, so not a, so this is the big two whammy value money. Yes. But I, because we need to do the analysis to give you money, I give you this analysis so we, you can understand what's probably do. pretty helpful for you as well. Yeah. And you, and you can even advise them like loan with us and we can g- give you pointers on where to go. Exactly. Which is part of this storytelling, right? Yes. And what type of company <laughs> should come to you? I mean, they, they can't be. That was my question. Fuck yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Take it. <laughs> I mean, it, I guess it can't be a company that has not yet connected to any kind of customer. They need to have some kind of growth. At exactly. Some, right? So we're not in this art uh, stage, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we say, I mean, the whole thesis is that if you're growing and there is data, uh, and, uh, when we, um, enough so that we, when we apply the latest analytics thinking to this, we can find predictable growth. Yeah. And that requires that there is some data, but mm. much less data than if you, we go to a bank mm. or anyone else, because we, we have the, uh, the tools to do this analysis better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. But, but I was so intrigued with this. So like, oh, this is maybe something for Daredex, but the, one of the key ingredients here, doesn't it need to be some sort of digital company that is sort of using or selling a product, having an app, or in some ways having a digital footprint that you can analyze? 
if it or, or, or can you can you branch out in other types of data um well you have to have uh you have to be connected to tech platforms yes so we mm. can get some data to it but i think most companies these days are tech companies they're using tech to drive their growth so mm. they have uh, marketing through tech platforms they mm. have uh uh, invoices coming in through some cloud platform or something like that. Mm. And so, as so that's what, that's what's my, like, because you have the financial platforms like Fort Knox. Yep. This is one data point. And then you have, of course, your Google ads, if you, if you do that. Yep. And then you have, you know, yeah. So there are more than just the Google ads and, and if you're in yeah. on social media and Facebook. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's what I mean. Every company has a, has a tech, um, platform today that they use to run their company and we, then we can connect to it. Uh, but what makes it really uh, even better is, of course, if you, if that's part of your growth. So if you use, uh, the modern digital, uh, channels, uh, to grow your company, then it's even more upside to it. So, and, and I have so, to yes. connect to Tesla as well. We have to mention Elon Musk at least once, you know, yeah. in every podcast, I think. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, they also have like, we do it uh, because we want him on the show, but uh, <laughs> maybe that works. I don't know. <laughs> but you also have, you know, the Tesla insurance that is also based on your performance in mm -hmm. some way. If you drive in a safe way, you have a lower insurance rate, basically. Yep. Would you do the same that the loan and the rate uh, that you can provide for that would be based on the risk that you can predict? Uh, yes, definitely. So if, if, uh, if the data is more predictable based on, um, yeah, based on the data we can see, then, uh, we will, we would be able to offer you better terms. Interesting. Yeah. Do you provide advice as well? So if you, if you do the kind of calculation and you see, you know, oh, it's not really very predictable or very stable, can you give them some advice as well into how you decrease that or? Yeah, uh, that's uh, for sure. With the tool, uh, with the dashboards and the insights from that, definitely there's going to be API access and things like that as well on the technical side. Uh, and then, uh, but then the more general advice, um, uh, we, we're not building the company to do like uh, consultancy from ourselves back to, uh, back to customers. But obviously I think if this grows out to be a big company, then mm. that could be something to, to add on probably with someone else. But we focus on building the scalable core of, uh, uh of building this finance platform. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, and you do collect the data. You mentioned a number of. Uh, sources that you can find the data from and, and what is the can you if you go a bit techy i know you, you don't want to disclose all the details but just you know you can mention or you can think about different objectives that you want to predict in some way it mm. could be like i want a one-year return or it could be you know i don't know whatever kind of growth that you want to predict mm. can, can you mention something that what really are, are your thinking there in, in finding, you know, how can you use the data to do some kind of prediction? Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, inspired by, um, if I just think about all the companies that I have worked with that, uh, have, uh, uh that have succeeded really well in, in working with data to become better, uh, mm. grow faster or make better decisions. The ones that are doing it really well, they do some different things uh, really well. And we take those pieces and build that into our platform. Mm. So then we get better decisions ourselves and we also get a better tool out. So immediately our customers will get access to, you know, the best in class uh, analytics insights and that will continue to evolve. Amazing but, uh, how you said that without giving any details at all. But I could give you one example. I was just uh, <laughs> no, it was so sly, it was so smooth, so smooth. <laughs> Politician, you know, yes. but uh, media trained. Media trained. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, well, one, one such example, I think, is uh, uh, the concept of unit economics, where you want to understand lifetime value versus yes. the cost of uh, bringing in a user. That was something we were early on in, in, uh, with at Spotify. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you uh, if you think about that and do that model really well, that can really make make your company much faster because you the quicker you can understand how your LTV CAC uh, ratio looks like mm-hmm. on the micro level the better you will become at uh, uh, spending your your money at the things that work and and, uh, and for the normal people LTV CAC you have to become more technical right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is the this always I'm, I'm the stupid guy position <laughs> and he's the smart guy position and I'm I'm dumbing it down right. so yeah so LTV lifetime value so, yeah, LTV, so if you if CAC, yeah. CAC is the customer acquisition cost so yeah at the fundamental level, you spend money uh, in some way to get customers to your company, right? And then that's a cost per customer. And then you want the, those customers to uh, to stay on to your whatever product, or, uh, whatever it is, and then to bring in money back. So it's a combined ratio, LTV, CAC. Yeah, so the, the, the value you get from your users should be more than what you pay for them. Otherwise, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going down the drain. Yeah. Um, lifetime value can be something uh, two or five years ahead or something that you try to calculate what the average value for each customer will be in some future time. Right? Exactly. So then uh, uh, then that becomes your judgment here. So how much, what is our requirement right now? That's how much money should we get in? Uh, or should we, um, if we spend $10 for, for to bring in one new user, uh, or customer, when do we need to get that money back? Yes. For some, it's like, oh, it's early. We don't care about that. It could be paid back in 10 years. And for others, it's like, oh, we need to get them back instantly on their first purchase. Because yeah. then, uh, and uh, that's different for different business models and stages. But yeah. still, uh, that equation is very important. If you get that, that right, you can empower your teams to really iterate on your product, to, to on your retention, on your pricing. And, and uh, the better you are at predicting that, uh, then the better you will become as a customer uh, or as a company, you grow faster and the better um, financing decision we will make as well. But I w- and I would argue that we have great tech inventors and startups that don't has the same deep grip on the ratios and the KPIs as you have done it when you've been drilled it in this in AKT exactly. and you grew up with it in Spotify yeah. and maybe so, some of those core ratios and it, you know it really drives your focus in a completely different way than if you use hmm. Go. So this is the nice thing, right? Uh, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, we were spending five years like exploring and inventing this way of working at Spotify. And five years into EQT, I've been working with 100 portfolio companies, iterating on this, like figuring out how this should be done. You've been building this business model for a while. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, so what if we, uh, or then I've been thinking like, but this should be common common knowledge for everyone, it's right? It's not. It's not. So what if, why don't we build this into this platform and offer it to our customers as well? And that will help them early on to to bec- to get this to them without them having to spend years, uh, and that also helps us. Right? Super, super cool. And okay. uh, yeah, so yep. that's in this field. As uh, to close this example, is uh, uh, if you you can use all your data to build those models much more accurate. So if you invest time in tech, uh, in machine learning, you can build the, uh, these models become really really accurate with very little data, and that's a really power if you if you do this really well. Yeah. I have. So yeah. Uh, do you want to take it first? Yeah. Okay, uh, because I, I, I'm, it, it's 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 bolts on to the angle of trying to unpack uh, how you do things, mm-hmm. but maybe do it a little bit more politically correct. <laughs> Not asking for the 
the the algorithm. But when you started this journey now with your experiences, what what has been your strategy or thinking around your tech stack and your architecture? What where did you start off? You know, what what is your core technology you started with, and and how you think it's going to evolve? A little bit like, are you good cloud, of course, I guess. Are you building it all from scratch? Are you sort of open sourcing stuff? Are you right. having make or buy decisions in here? Yeah, that's, um, uh, I think the, uh, it's super nice to start things from scratch now because then we can make all these choices in the in this uh, paradigm where there is so much stuff available. Mm. And when we, uh, back in our Spotify days, nothing mm. was available. Mm. Every tool out there was just built for the old world, right? Where there was little data. Uh, so we had to build everything ourselves uh, at Spotify. Uh, but now we can use uh, we can use the modern data stack, which is which helps us to be really fast to one of, one of the three big clouds as a base. One of the three, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, you, of course you have the cloud as your base, and then uh, you can structure your uh, analytics in in much better way than what we could do before. So building data pipelines is much faster now. It's much easier to become structured. Uh, in that flow. So we can pick the tools that really helps us here. Uh, and uh, also the connectors to all these different platforms out there. The if we, if yeah. we started this company five years ago, three years ago, we, we had to build everything ourselves. Now we don't. We can use companies that do offer these connectors as the business model. And you can integromat. You can go to anyone who can even be an API guy yeah, for you. So we can focus on really the what is unique to us, which is the this analysis, right? The the models, the algorithms, the the machine learning parts of actually doing that prediction part really, really well. Everything else we we could just pick and choose and um, and make sure we fit them all together. So we become really fast in, in getting to a, a product that is actually. That may be a little bit stupid question. So, so it consists of data pipeline, microservices, APIs, and then uh, user interface to deal with your workflow for you as in your operating, your, your, your workspaces, so to speak, for, for, for the company, so to speak. Yeah. It's I mean, it's, it's uh, connecting to, it's connectors to our customers' platforms. Yeah, this is API data. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a transformation of that data. Uh, to to fit with our data uh, our data models, yeah. and then so it's the whole data modeling parts, yeah. big parts, and then out from that that is uh, the outputs to the the consumers of of this of the which insight. is insight visualizations type. yes, which is uh, uh, served through a, uh, as easy to to um, grasp act on uh, UI for our people that will offer financing and our customers. So, so did you build them a web interface with a UI where you can look at your data? Yes, I mean, building a web UI with graphs, it's easy, right? Yeah. It's nothing. So, I mean, I before, if we started this years ago, we would have to use any of the like dashboarding companies to use, but yeah. it's just super easy, right, to build graphs. But what is not easy is to think about the design and UX to make this Easy to grasp and like, you know, as In, a insight popping. I'm glad you said the word pop because I'm coming back to my McKinsey life. Like how to create the story, like the, your conclusion has to stand out, right? Mm. What, and that links to uh, make it really simple, right? What is the metric to pick? So it, like from all the, the millions of rows of data and the advanced analytics, it should be extremely simple. So advanced and simple is my principle. <laughs> That's lovely. Very obvious. Advanced and simple at the same time. That's yeah, exactly. the answer. Dare to be advanced <laughs> and simple. That's a new t-shirt. <laughs> okay, so we only have like 20 minutes-ish left, but I'd like to, to move a bit more into more... We haven't even touched the professional topics and, and 
we have the societal stuff. But if we just continue a bit on, I can uh, come back. This is so good. Year, this is, uh, Henrik, this is so fantastic. And I, I think we've said it's some fun. profound stuff, and it's so fun. But if we just continue a bit mind. on what we just said and think a bit more generally, but we can connect it to our capital. Mm-hmm. I think. And imagine someone listening to this, and, and they're thinking. That sounds like an awesome idea. I want to have some financing and a loan from our capital. What would be your best advice to say, you know, this is the way if they come to to you and and make a pitch, Mm -hmm. what should they really do and not to do to to make you pick them and choose them? Well, that's the nice thing. You don't have to pitch much, right? You just uh, come to us and say that we have a great company and I'll I'll, uh, um, I'll let you connect to our data and, and then you'll see it. That's actually a very surprisingly good answer, I would say, <laughs> but, <laughs> which is almost disappointing. I, for me, it's a bad <laughs> answer because if my my business model is not fitting into, I mean, like, for some companies, it's very simple, right? Yeah. Let let show us your data and we can see it. Boom. But then you will have companies like ah, you have a business model which is consulting and services. Yeah. You work in this way, so you, so your model will not be for everyone. Maybe mm-hmm. or or are you? I, I argue that you could probably stretch it more and more. Yeah, it's finding kind of, it, finding data it, points in different ways. Eventually, we will uh, stretch it to all the different business models. But we need to start somewhere, right? We yeah. we have only a few people right now, so we we start with the. Uh, with like um, SaaS companies, B two C or B two B. Yeah, so SaaS but companies B two B, B two C. So you can have a data uh, digital entry so point. It's just because we want to start yeah. with because you need to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you can't do everything at exactly uh, the same time. Full sense. So you start to build out the models for a segment, and that, that I need to be, connect you to some people. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. <laughs> Okay, so if there is a company that have some kind of a uh, software as a service kind of solution that can scale, I guess that's mm-hmm. what you're looking for in this yes. case, because it's a safe bet, you know, from a scaling point of view. Exactly. That's something that they can do. But still, if we take it one more step, you are going to connect to the different data sources you have. Yep. And you get some kind of initial metrics. But if someone were to do that kind of investigations themselves before they come to you, what should they look for? What is it that they should try to optimize for in the before they come to us? Before they come to you. Well, um, I mean, ideally, they would be have insights into their data, and they could say they know that uh, we are we have uh, we have proven that we can grow, and, and uh, we we if we could get um, a loan here, we could grow faster. If they know that, if they have proven that, that's a great point. The loan actually do provide value in some way. They would too. want. Uh, we want them to. Um, we want to provide capital for them to grow further. Yes. And if they feel that I know that I uh, I've proven uh, that I uh, have grown grown to where I am today, and if I can get more money, I will get grow even faster. Mm. If they know that themselves, then you know most likely we're going to see that in data too. Then mm. it's going to be nice. Mm. Uh, but. Um, how important the, is it that they have a clear idea of what they need the money for in, in their scaling journey? Because it's a little bit this story. So John Bosch said, like, well, you can kill a company by giving them too much money too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not go through the nailing f- stage. They need to go to the st- scaling phase because then they know what they need. Yeah. So, I mean, what we, what we are doing when we connect to the data is, is really to see how are they using money today and uh, what is driving their growth today. And then you would see that, okay, well, maybe it's not the money that is driving the growth, maybe something else. So giving them more money probably won't make it for them. 
Uh, and then it's going to be a, a conversation. Uh, okay, so what is it that you're going to do, and why do you think you will in the future do? Uh, why will money help you in the future if it hasn't helped you in the past? And maybe it could be good reasons for that. So that's it's not out of scope, but it's then it will require a discussion here. Uh, but it's a uh, it's a very interesting topic. And when we have lent money to a company, they will also continue to get access to this uh, to the tool, which will help them to also track very important metrics. So make sure that if they start to like overspend on stuff uh, and it doesn't work, they will see it, and it will, it will help them to act immediately. Right? Yeah, very good. So they it's because it's good for us and good for them, right? So we so have this aligned uh, incentives. So we want them to succeed, and that comes back to the to the tool. We we I don't want to build like a mega uh, dashboarding solution here where they can slice dice, slice and dice data however however they want. We want to build um, a tool, a UI for them that make them really grow faster. In a, but, but how in do you capture other, you know, hard to capture metric from the data sources you mentioned, like the quality of the team uh, do you ignore that completely or can you uh, capture that somehow or uh, so uh, right now we don't have uh, any any sources for that uh, so that will be but it's not as important as uh, the uh, VC case here because uh, if if the team has proven that they can grow and we see like uh, this is predictable into the future mm -hmm. uh, and we can say that uh, we comfort or with some certainty we believe that they will in the low scenario, even be able to repay our loans, mm. then it's fine, right? Actually, then we don't care much about who is running this, like and, where you come you from, can, and anything. Exactly. So that can be like a almost like a quality kind of uh, way to to equalize who can get funding. Exactly. And it doesn't have to one be the one that have the, the great exactly. connections. Exactly. Right? That's exactly it. Yeah, that makes a lot uh, of sense. You, you, you are objectively looking at the hard numbers. Yeah. And then you're, then you're having models to understand uh, the, the scenarios and predictability in the trajectories of those numbers. So it's just maths, right? It's just statistics. Well, still, just to, to linger a small part of time longer on, on that, you know, so, so some companies still want to grow their company and they want to set them up to, to become as uh, great, you know, partner with you, if you mm. call it that as possible, and, and they still want to build their team. And, and you've been part of building teams for a long time as well. How would you still recommend people to do get that kind of number, the data that is required for this? What type of, have you seen any like, you know, failure with that they require the wrong type of people? I'm thinking about, you know, what John said, you know, with salespeople, et cetera. Yeah. And you can actually, I would argue you can also blow up numbers sometimes with data that looks completely wrong because you simply do that with, you know, bloated numbers, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, think about my position. I've been involved in probably around 100 investments uh, mm -hmm. that made it uh, a, for Equity Ventures. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, to get there, there's been a lot of uh, uh, nays as well, like yeah. uh, much, much more. Uh, so I've seen many, many cases um, like that. But, but, so let me get some more background about this, because we spoke a bit with John Bosch as well about this. And, yeah. and, and I think, you know, you know, a lot of people, including myself, think it's super important with engineers and, mm -hmm. and that they can have the tech expertise necessary to build the, the product that they can have and scale. And, and he actually also said, and, and of course, I do believe we should have salespeople not saying that, but... I think sometimes, you know, people abuse salespeople that they, in, in a way that they can simply push money into marketing and, and that makes the numbers look really great. And there is no real substantial 
you know, customer value that you do provide. And in that way, you can fool the numbers who look good. What do you mean? Like you're selling stuff that long term, the stickiness is not there, but someone sold it really well. Yeah. I mean, you can just push money into marketing and then the, you know, the number of customer is growing really, you know, nicely, but it's not really sustainable growth. So that's exactly what you can see, right? So if you actually look at the data, how the users, if, sure. if you're able to, I mean, what you said is, is uh, great, actually, if as the first step, um, you said that if you spend money, you can bring in new customers. Yes. Not, not everyone managed to do that. It's a yep. lot of companies that spend a lot of money. And when you look at what happened when they started to increase their spend, mm. actually, they didn't. There's sp- not it, really uptake no, in a way. They just spend more and they don't make the connection. That the conversion makes, is not uh, really it's there. It's not really happening. Mm. Maybe they have some uh, other metrics that improve, but not the customers. And that, mm. that's a mistake then. Mm. But uh, if you manage to get them in, as you said, uh, so then you pass like the first great point. But yeah. then the other thing is that what do they do on the platform uh, or your product or your... Do they grow? Do they churn? Do they come back? Uh, yeah. or do, they, do they monetize? Uh, are you able to monetize mm-hmm. them or not? Yeah. Or do you get the wrong... Maybe you got the wrong customers in through your marketing. So they... Uh, or your product is not sticky enough or good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the point, right? So if the more data you can get on that, uh, the more you can understand it and predict it. And uh, if you also have a platform where you can capture usage data, you usually that engagement data is extremely helpful in predicting the future uh, future retention of those users mm-hmm. as well. So that's exactly what it is. And think about if uh, you build something, uh, you just early on, but you have some kind of traction, you haven't at all spent time on analyzing your data yourself but you have a hunch that it might work. And then you come to us and we, we apply the latest and greatest in analytics thinking and we can talk to you about how it works right now. Then maybe we, we find out that it's too early right now, but we give you the tools to, to say that if you hit these numbers, you, we help you to define what should that be. Mm-hmm. Then it's, it's, you know that you're, you're um, then helping your, yourself to grow your company in a healthy way. And by the way, we could also offer you money. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a not personal question, but... How are you thinking about bootstrapping VC and, and getting money and investments or you do need it for our capital? How, how are you doing it? Yeah, uh, we, uh, that's, uh, that's what I, as a founder, that uh, is exactly what I've been focusing on. <laughs> so uh, we are, have been uh, fundraising for ourselves uh, and uh, um, that's been um, with that's good, good said, traction. Because you said that, uh, you know, you've been homing in on your pitch on who you are. Exactly. Right? So you've been, but so you, you're going down, the, this is the VC. Yeah. Route so exactly. For so for, for us uh, as an investment case, we don't have any performance data yet. No, we just started. So for us, it's an arts decision. Yeah. And you are a hundred X. Exactly. Yeah. Just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> so no, definitely. So for us, it's a high risk uh, investment. That and has, how have you been thinking to, about uh, Swedish, Nordic, European, US, uh, you know, do, and, and it's so interesting because you've been Coming from Spotify, you've been on AQT, you've seen on that side, now you've seen on the other side. And Aurora Bellfrog, uh, I think she, she, fantastic charisma, how she talked about this and, you know, how, you know, behind locked doors, we want to be the preferred choice of the real VC. I mean, like it's, it's this, it's, it's flipping it to a quite hum, humble stage, which I think is super smart yep. to really attract the people who are the real thousand X yeah. as a, as a preferred choice. So now I argue that you are, you're, you know, all this, you've been part of that strategizing yes. and now you sit on the other side yes. of the table. Where it's, are you going? How are you thinking? Extremely interesting. Yeah. Uh, 
because uh, uh, it was uh, as a VC, I was um, pitching a lot that, right? Uh, that we wanted to be that uh, preferred VC and all the help we will give and everything. And uh, how you need to and make now, that choice. And now I, I feel uh, uh, through our own fundraising that I met from the other side of the table, it's extremely interesting to see how all the investors so, work. Some are really good, some are part of my friends, but, names, but, not, uh, but Without naming names, could you, could, you, could you give us a state of VC a little bit, how, you know, what you meet? What's the, what's the spectrums here? Um, from douchebags to <laughs> the best. <laughs> you said douchebags. This, this is a rabbit hole. This is a rabbit hole. I love it. I, <laughs> I think um, the stage of VCs, there is a lot of VCs out there. It's a, it's a lot of money out there looking for investors. Isn't it also a lot of money right now during, during Corona? I mean, people think sometimes that they're a bit careful right now, but right now it's a really yeah, nice uh, time, right? It's, uh, I mean, we started early on to f- because there was a big hole in the European market for big funds. Since then, there's been much more money coming in, but also a lot more startups. So the startup scene has really boomed. It's been following the, the trend. Uh, so it's a really good environment. Lots of money and lots of... of uh, in, um, and how do you see Sweden you know, placing itself towards other European countries, for example? I mean, in every mar- in every uh, list, I think Sweden is popping out high. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is great. Uh, it was, uh, uh, I think that has just uh, continued, which is, uh, which is great. And I think it, it comes in waves. So the, you know, we have Spotify and, 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 um, and Skype, uh, early on bringing the way, like uh, the, the wave of people like our, us uh, starting new investors or new startups. And then hopefully we get more, which we do. And then that will give new waves. Yeah. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, we have, we're lucky and fortunate that we were early on in this, uh, in the curve. But without, without revealing anything, how, how broad are you casting your net in terms of Swedish, VC, Nordic? Do you mean for Europe? my, for yeah. our, the investors for ourselves? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, for that, um, we look for, um, Given we have had high interest, a high, a lot of high uh, interest in, in investing in us, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then we have had the ability to pick and choose a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So we can, uh, we, uh, we have been able to talk more with some investors that have, uh, that can really help us with what we need. So we believe our model is really scalable. I mean, the connectors and data and business models is the same, regardless of if you're a B2C startup yeah. in Sweden, Norway, France, or US, or even China, right? Uh, so we want to, to build this out and roll it out into the world, this new way of growing companies as fast as we can. So we want to pick then investors that can help us with that. So trying to find investors that can help us with the, the best networks out there. Uh, on a global scale. On a global scale. Yeah. Uh, but also we, uh, I think, um, we probably don't have to feel like we need to solve everything from the beginning. So there's going to be stages. Like if we follow the the classic startup track, it's going to be like around now and around later, maybe two. And then uh, uh, we can start with, we're focusing on Europe now. So we're going to open up. Uh, um, so then you want to, is that, 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 when you focus on Europe, is it preferable to have European VC then? Yeah, exactly. Because we have, we're starting, we're focusing on, on Europe, but we're starting the company here, you know, across mm-hmm. the street in Stockholm. So our natural networks will be more focused here. Yes. So let's take the opportunity if we get more Stage investors one. to pick investors mm-hmm. that have networks in other markets like we do, but other, other places. Cause then we believe that it, that will help us to roll out the fastest we can uh, mm-hmm. when, when the time is right. So, so what you're saying is you will have a, 
as the rounds go by and your uh, geo cloning happens, yeah. you will look for investors depending to, on where to you match go. our next stage. Mm. Awesome. And, and let's try. We, we won't really have time to go into any kind of philosophical or societal oh, kind of topics, but, but we can touch one, I think, okay. and, and connect it Shoot. a bit to what we just spoke about. And, and that is potentially, you know, you're investing in startups. And then uh, some companies we're, say that the tech we're, time, we're not investing. Oh, sorry. Just your, okay. Okay. Lending you're, money you're lending financing. money to your Finan- financing. financing. Okay. You're financing startups. Yeah. Uh, good. And then some companies are a bit scared about, you know, the big acceleration that we see the big tech giants are doing right now. And we can easily see if you just look at the most valuable companies in the world that, you know, the, the top valuable companies in any kind of sector is the tech giants. It's the Google, it's the Facebook, it's the Amazon, the Microsoft and Chinese, you know, Baidu, Tencent, yeah. Alibaba, whatnot. Do you think there is a, a risk if you look f- couple of years ahead that the tech giants will continue to accelerate in this way and therefore it will be harder and harder to build startups or do you think the opposite? Um, I think the big tech giants will continue to accelerate but I do not think that's bad for startups. I think it's completely the opposite. Nice. Because they can make a great exit or in what way? No, I think the big tech giants are uh, continuing to uh, uh, fuel innovation and R&D of things, uh, of new tech methodologies, but also to create new platforms and new new places to create, like new opportunities to build startups upon, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so if, if uh, Facebook and Google didn't exist, we couldn't create our company right now because they have, thanks to them, people use them for marketing, market their own companies, which generates data, which helps us to mm-hmm. fund them. But but do you get sometimes a bit scared of the power that the tech giants have if they yeah. will continue to accelerate as well, as you say? No, I love uh, I love that they accelerate because it also it helps, um, it shows that others can, can do the same. Uh, you can create a new global company really fast and, and from... Uh, like take um, a big part uh, affect a lot of people very fast thanks to tech mm. uh, but on the other hand it's scary if you think that they will do that with the wrong uh, intentions right That's so, uh, yeah I have to move here now and I'm really I'm on the opposite side I usually takes but just because you're saying what you're saying I have to take the opposite side here and then okay, imagine like Facebook yep. or LinkedIn or Twitter uh, or someone gets a huge power and they start to also not only be a tech provider but also take part in the political agenda, for, so, so to speak, yep. and, and start to deplatformize people mm. uh, like Trump <laughs> or other people. Uh, and we, we heard about Joe Rogan, for example, recently at Spotify, which is a big, you know, current mm-hmm. discussion that we have. And Spotify is so far taking the stance they're not really uh, censoring or, or they at least do that less than some other tech giants. Do you have any thoughts about this? You know, should tech giants take more of um, responsibility for the content they have, even though it's provided by their users? Or what's your thought about this? Uh, I think when you have uh, when you have built big platforms uh, and you uh, have uh, created products that really affects what people do and learn, that affects them, which these platforms have done. Mm-hmm. You can affect that, right? You do control it. I mean, either you do it explicitly or you do it implicitly. Uh, and of course, these big platforms have a lot of control, and they so they should use that power, I think, to to um, uh, to do the right thing. But then, what is the right thing? Mm. 
That's uh, that's hard, so, and this so is they a, should, they, in that way. You mean they should control the content more? Uh, no, I mean they, they they are they're writing their own algorithms on what to prioritize in yeah. their feeds, for example. Yes, uh, and uh, so so I mean explicitly or directly or indirectly, they are controlling what we do, right? Mm -hmm. And what we see and what we don't see. And there's been numerous examples of how that has been problematic uh, with racial content and stuff like that. So I think they should take that opportunity to uh, affect and, and steer the content that they have in a good way. Mm -hmm. uh, but the question is, what is what is good here? Uh, and where, where does that line go? And I think actually goes back again to the politician, exactly. to the political debate, because if if uh, if the debate was <laughs> Uh, was on the, one of these platforms, we could say, oh, you're spreading misinformation here. You're, you're actually using facts that fake are news. Yeah, well, like if, if this was happening, a debate in television, yeah. we could we could call out fake news. Exactly. We could say like to, uh, if it was on uh, Swedish uh, SVT, uh, national television, like, uh, oh, uh, you're not censoring uh, wrong content here. Mm. Uh, and no, they're not because they're not used to this at all. Uh, and uh, But I think they should. It goes back to um, um, they should use the tools that they are, that they have, and that they're indirectly already using. Mm. And I think uh, um, coming back to my mother brain days, we, 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 we built this workflow tool, which all the users in the team use to prioritize the, the companies we look at. Mm. Uh, and there, uh, uh, we then chose to say, okay, let's, not just follow all the, the companies that score high up on the probability to succeed. Let's make sure to shift it over and make sure that the team over index on companies that have uh, a mixed gender split in their funding team, for example. Right. So you basically, let's steer the algorithm for good. Let's, let's use the, this, uh, the, the position we have to actually control what people do uh, and to something that we all agree on is something that we want to do, but have a hard time doing ourselves. So that we, so I think that's a nice way to think about it, and I think that's uh, how people should think about their different feed algorithms and and content on Spotify. That that they should actually and, apply and, that. And do we want them to do this by good nature, or just this needs to be regulated in order to get there? Yeah. So that's the that is the, the where the where is that line? I think no one has the answer yeah, to it, no. uh, and I think it probably comes, comes back to. Uh, to our brands and what we want to stand for and how we, if, if brands want to help out in society or not, they can take this chance. Because, because there's also this argument that, uh, you know, around your brands and wh why go good AI will be profitable AI is simply that in the end, we as consumers can steer or, you know, can steer them with mm -hmm. our purchasing choices or our platform choices. Yeah. Now, the problem is as when they have monopolistic uh, monopolistic um, almost so basically I have no other choice if I want this type of service I will end up here mm. um, so for me it, it calls for that I, I'm not so worried about tech giants but in order to push them or in order for me to be able to steer them mm. I also need uh, some alternatives so for me, the scare point is when the alternatives go straight out of the door, right? Because then I don't know. Then we I can't even with my money say I, I'm going to choose your your friend over here because he's doing the right thing. But then you can still get other reactions, such as like now Spotify people are leaving; uh, they don't want to be part. Like the artists don't want to be part of the platform, yeah. so they're protesting they, in that perspective yeah. instead.
So I think, I mean, uh, we, before we have, we weren't able to have this discussion. So it's great that we have it. And this is, I think what we need. Because uh, if we, if we trust, if we want to start, end on a very positive note, mm. Uh, generally, uh, my outlook on people is most people wants to do good. We have our good or bad days, yeah. but there are very few people I meet. Have you met many evil people? No. Really evil people, you know? No, we don't, right? No. So if, if we all have that sentiment, it, it basically, if someone is going too much, you know, AI for greed, so it's evil. I mean, like even they are not evil, they're greedy, right? But if they take that too far, I think that will have a backlash, you know, yeah. like we, you know, and I, I think you can in some ways trust the society to in the end do a revolution like the French revolution or whatever we do at some point in time, something will crack if yes. you are taking this too far. And it, nowadays it goes so much faster because yes. there is so much power uh, yes. through the social media platforms. So it's in a way ultimately self-regulating. Yes. This is my hypothesis. Mm. What do you, what do you think? I think, I but think if you take it too far, people say, fuck off to, to this guy or, or to this platform. So he gives, we go to the, you know, regulation kind of side of things, but it's so boring topic, but I think it's actually a very important topic, but it's not very. Um, well, let's go there a little bit, but, nah, you, but, no, but state so. your angle, state your angle. I'm curious. What were you thinking about? It will take like 10 minutes to just, you know, <laughs> open up that kind of field, I think. Um, yeah, but we, it's a very important, but. I think potentially people are doing it a bit wrong these days and haven't really learned the lessons from GDPR. And just to say what we have said so many times before, GDPR in some sense wanted to you know, limit the power that tech giants had, but in the end it turned out to be the opposite. And, and the people that were the companies that truly had the ability to follow all the regulation and conform by that was the tech giants. So in the end, in end it actually accelerated the divide. And once again, we can see the same things happening with the AI Act coming up now. And they are putting a lot of requirements on companies being conformative to you know, support high-risk AI. And, you know, of course, who will do that? Well, the tech giants have yeah, well, a problem. It's so simple, right? The tech giants with the, with the superior tech stack, mm -hmm. with the superior data in industrialized yeah. data control, and with the superior uh, lawyering department, they have no problem dealing with any of these regulations, no. but for the data illiterate, they don't even know where to start to, to untangle it. And for something that Google can do a couple of configurations and they've sorted it out. Yeah. And I truly believe it's that simple for them. But I think uh, in my view, the, the GDPR is an example of where there has been really good intentions of why yes, we yes, wanted to do yes, it. Absolutely. I think it's no so question. important. And same for the AI, like uh, the intentions are Intention great. is good. And, and, and I think that, um, if people follow those intentions and do the right thing with it, uh, regardless of GDPR, uh, uh, I think that is, that has, or more companies are doing that thanks to the GDPR uh, initiative. At least they're, they're listening the to awareness the, to, got up. the awareness got up and people think about that, uh, even though they don't comply probably with all the different legal requirements. But there is, I think actually more people or companies, and I know a number of them in Sweden as well, that Paradise. chose to not continue to use data because they were so afraid about getting sued. In the so public sector, this is a real problem. I mean, yeah. like, I, I think more than ever in Sweden, yeah. uh, we are, they are, you know, with the cloud act. So everybody's going back on prem yeah. and it's screwing them up 
Mm. Big time yeah. for no particular really, I mean, you know, there is not the useful security. I mean, like, I, it, it's just dumb. Yep. It's simply dumb, right? And yeah. with the daycare, when I leave my child, children, then I don't. You need to have your daycare. I'm not to take a picture. I'm not allowed to have any photos of my kids on yeah, daycare. But I don't know, but, but it's, really? but it, but it, and they are forced into it because they don't have the lawyering capacity or they, or actually, the people who needs to tell them there needs to be some level then in the public sector who basically says, well, point with the left arm. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. It's, it's left down to the stupid Vam de Commune or it's left down to the doggies fricken to understand yeah. to how to interpret GDPR. That's totally insane, yeah. man. Totally. It's completely insane. Cool. I want to end this on a still positive note. And it's so easy to get excited and angry when you speak about regulation. So I don't want to just end But it's the, it's, the, it's the implementation and execution that is screwed yes. up. It's not the intention. Henrik, what do you think uh, of coming five years when it comes to the possibility to start a startup that uh, has an opportunity to, for one, face or you know, compete against uh, tech giants like Spotify did. I mean, they won against Apple and Google and Amazon and whatnot. Do you think that opportunity will grow in coming five years or will it reduce? Uh, I think we can just look at data here uh, and uh, see how many startups are being created every year now. It's just completely on the rise, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what I also know uh, from data is that the conversion rates from startups going from the very early seed stage to the next phase and to the next phase is constant. Constant. Uh, it's constant. Yes. So, so it's, it's, it's more growing. startups, it's but more and more startups. And we have seen from the years that the conversion rate between these rounds is stable. Similar. So Which the, the, the four, data tells us the data tells us that the future of tech driven uh, companies uh, that will be big in Europe is very, very positive. Yeah. And, and then awesome. let me rephrase it. If we talk That's a positive about, note. Yeah, it's a really it positive note. It was a perfect note. ending, Henry. Okay, okay, continue. No, and, and, <laughs> I, I, and would you argue the same for hyperscalers, like the real hyperscalers? Because I think, yes. Yeah. If you follow the data, they have gone the whole way and they become unicorns and all this. Yes. So I think uh, what is uh, uh, what could be a, a little slight bump on this is uh, if uh, the IPO or the stock markets start to crash now because we're in this small little bubble we have. Mm. But uh, we all know from the past crashes that if that happens, it's going to be temporal and, and uh, the underlying growth is definitely there. And I mean, just thinking about the different uh, uh, found foundations of why this is happening, it's, they are not going to go away. I mean, the capital is there, the, all these tech, plat tech platforms are there, there are lots of more people that knows how to build great companies. They know what good looks like. We didn't have this 10 years before. Now we have it. And we've seen this trajectory in Silicon Valley before. So, I mean, the future looks good for, for startups. So all indicators are looking positive. We can see the number of startups is growing. We have the financing opportunities being improved with Hendrik and, and that yep. type of companies. And uh, there is no reason not to take the opportunity, right? If you have an idea, just go for it. But I, I, it's, it's never been faster to build a, a global company than now. But what you did now is maybe the ending t-shirt. Uh, the world looks good uh, when I look at the data. Mm. <laughs> and it's never been faster to grow or build a growing uh, the, company. Data, uh, you know, this is t-shirts. Uh, data tells me time to grow. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> where, can I, where can I buy this? Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're starting here. <laughs> nice.
<laughs> Henrik, what's happening next in your life? Um, in, in private life, in personal life? Uh, I understand you will spend a lot of time with Arc Capital, I guess. But what's coming up in coming months? Um, well, that's uh, Arc. <laughs> yes. Right now, my life is arc. Yes. <laughs> and and, and For, football but, training. But maybe. I've never actually had so much fun in my life as now. Oh, but, but it's no. arc and then it's a bit of uh, soccer coaching. Uh, soccer coaching, yes. Um, so uh, uh, you asked before about my hobbies. And I think after uh, time spent on my baby arc, uh, it's uh, the rest of my life goes to my family. family. Having three kids and, and a dog. It's yeah, a dog lot of fun well. too. Yeah. yeah. So it's two startups, two one at startup. home and one. Uh, two startups. I love it. I love a lot of uncertainties. I was going to ask you know if if they can have some kind of analytics on the family side. But yeah, not, not, no, let's not go there. We go there after after beer and, and ask him. You know after. what 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 data points do you have at home? Uh, what indicators? <laughs> what indicators? Henrik, who, who would you recommend to have on this podcast? Anyone that you would love to hear uh, us being? I was actually thinking about that, and I was thinking, what about yourselves? Oh, ooh. That was, yeah. How do you mean? That, I mean, you, you, have pretty, you have pretty interesting backgrounds and thoughts, given mm-hmm. all these uh, interviews and also yeah. your, your daytime works as well. That would be interesting. That was a Ooh, new, that's new a nice one. That, that was a very flirty of what you say, uh, smooching the, the, yeah, exactly. the host <laughs> <laughs> comment. Buttering up. Buttering up. Yeah. I, but I loved no. it anyway. No, Great other than that, I think, um, uh, of course, Elon Musk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, other than that, uh, I would also recommend the people in my teams that I've been working with. Some right. really good yeah, yeah. superstars there. In Arc Capital, I mean. Uh, and also the EQT. EQT. You have, there are several superstars in, in and cool anyone, people. Anyone specific in EQT that you would recommend? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, one of a very dear colleague uh, who is extremely great at uh, all the AI parts is Lele. Have you met him? Lele. 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 Cow. You have to meet oh. him. Oh, I don't. Okay, good. Okay. That's some great advice. Yeah. With that, Henrik, um, it was a true pleasure to have you here. Likewise. We, I think we managed not even half of the qu- or topics we prepared, but that's you know, <laughs> the way it should be. And, that's um, the way it should be. <laughs> and uh, we have still the, the after after work to, to do the proper forward. kind yeah. of uh, discussions. But so. an awesome flow and an awesome energy, Henrik. Yeah. Thank for that. Thank you. Awesome. Likewise. Super fun. Thank you very much.